Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Graham McMillan and I are back with episode 121 to give you more than two hours of four-color double-plus good speak. Topics and comics covered include Batman and Robin number 19, Jennifer Blood number 25, Comicsology and Sagagate, the preview of Lazarus by Greg Rucka and Michael Lark, Archer and Armstrong, Snyder and Capullo, Kirby and Gerber, the Hulk and Dive Bar, and a certain solenoid Sumerian and his horse, as well as our good friends, much, much more. Full, although again, somewhat unfortunately skimpy show notes, are available over at SavageCritic.com, and as always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Grant McMillan, sir! How you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm okay, I think. I think. How about yourself? I am doing okay, too. I think I'm a bit more definite about being okay than you sound. <laughs> you seem very unconvinced about being okay. Yeah, I I gotta admit, I'm a, I'm a little up in the air. It's, it's, there was, there was all these grand plans that I had for my Thursday before we talked, which was even going to include, like, making a little list of, like, topics and things, and I didn't really get a chance to do that. So, and of course, the inevitable... Um, tech update uh, required that I actually spend a few extra minutes um, taking I actually, I love that because I'm watching you and Skype just coming online and going offline and coming online and going offline and coming online and going offline and I was like, <laughs> like Age of Ultron has infected his computer and this, <laughs> things are going horribly wrong that's right, that's right and in another five podcast episodes we'll actually see the results of that So submit or perish, Jeff <laughs> Is that their actual slogan? That's that's their tagline. I discovered in the Avengers Assemble issue that's out this week. Oh, I see. Wow. Which sounds really familiar, right? Submit or perish sounds I, I, like it's ripped off of something, and I can't think what it is. I think it's I think it's uh, I think it's the Comicsology program, isn't it? Isn't that? What <laughs> <laughs> yes. If you actually don't put your digital thing into Comicsology, then um, they will kill you. But if you do, then they will tell you that Apple has banned it, even though they haven't. Yeah. So either way, you lose. <laughs> I know. Kind of a really uh, interesting... Like, I really was like, hmm, boy, this is going to be a toughie. You, me, upbeat, and looking at Comicsology, pulling what I believe the Joker once referred to as a boner. Uh, <laughs> Can I just say... I. I'm genuinely surprised that people on the internet, or people on social media, I should say, are now being like, look, obviously, like, Apple didn't have anything to do with it, so I think we can all agree it was all, like, there's no wrongdoing here, it's all just miscommunication. And it's like, no! Comicsology are fucking with people! Yeah, yeah, I mean... Comicsology are actively fucking with people at mm-hmm, this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little less okay with that. I mean, you know, it really is like... And there is something to be said where by the idea of, like, they could get quite, um, there is, like, Apple does no, doesn't quite, I don't think Comixology gets more of a cut if it's, you know, purchased through them directly than if it's yes, purchased yes, it through the Apple. Do they? Okay. Well, they do, because Apple's cut isn't taken off. Well, no, it isn't. But I thought for some reason that that cut then just goes to the creators, although no. I could be wrong. No, it is not. Ah, see. It's the same percentage, I think, but it's a percentage of a bigger pie, if that makes sense. Of course, right. So it's not like that. It's not like, that they're not yeah, it's not like the Apple 30% goes towards the creators. Right. Uh, it's that the whatever remaining percentage gets I split up. I, 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 I believe. I mean, yeah. let's face it. There are people who are listening to this who know for sure. That's definitely my understanding. 
I will depends me. I know we'll hear mm-hmm. one way or another if I'm wrong when I say that. Yeah, that is certainly true. Um, but I'm really genuinely surprised that people are like, yeah, you know, comicsology it clearly didn't mean anything. When they fucking did. <laughs> really did. I mean, yeah. I, I'm, you know, seeing Mark Wade give everyone on the internet into a hard time, mm-hmm. because he's like, well, I was a journalist, I called people, and this is the answer I got. And it's like, well, to be honest, you're Mark Wade. Right. right. A, a random journalist might also call people and basically be told no comment. Yeah, exactly. Just saying. <laughs> I, I, no, I, like, that really... That really irritates me because he's like, well, if everyone was doing their job, they'd see that no one is to blame here. And it's like, well, first of all, people were trying to do their job and got no comments because they're not Mark Wade. And secondly, Comicsology is not doing this job here. Yes, exactly. It's clearly not. Comicsology is doing – I mean, as, as David Brother said on Twitter, if this were completely – like if everyone was completely above board in this, mm-hmm. you are relying on a hellish coincidence. Which mm-hmm. is basically everyone in Comixology who knew that it was Comixology who said that they weren't going to put it to Apple somehow didn't see any of the kerfuffle and blame on Apple that was out there for 24 hours. Right, which is clearly that impossible. Me unlikely. Well, the sure. thing that the thing the thing that's amazing. How do I put this? Is I mean, it's not just unlikely, but when it first broke out that it was not going to be available on the iOS app, people were like, well, I can't, so I'm not going to be able to get this. I saw tweets from Comixology and from Comixology support saying this is available directly on our web store. And they weren't saying... It's possible that those people did not know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's possible those people just believed, oh, it's Apple. And sure. this is a response. That's what I'm saying. Like, that is possible. Yeah. It is, however, really fucking unlikely that no one in Comixology who knew that they had not even put it into Apple mm-hmm. saw that for 24 hours. Yeah, that does seem a little unlikely. So. I mean, I was just, I was just, I'm really upset about lots of things. Like, I'm upset about a lot of the coverage that the story got. Because mm-hmm. uh, here's the thing. Behind the scenes at one of the websites I work at, uh, we we looked at it. Like, mm-hmm. we looked at the, the story, and we were like, this isn't even really a story. Like, this is back when we thought it was Apple. Because mm-hmm. we were like, it's an on-panel blowjob <laughs> followed by an on-panel cum shot. Mm-hmm. That is slightly different from the sex that's been in there before. There's been one scene of penetration before. Mm-hmm. But even that, you didn't see ejaculation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, so I could actually see that Apple would be like, you know what? This scene of ejaculation is actually a problem for sure, us. Sure. The funny thing is, I had the PDF mm-hmm. of Saga 12. I read through it twice before I noticed where it was. <laughs> I'm not joking. I was like, I, like, I didn't even look at what was on the screen. Oh, that's really funny. And I was like, where's this gay sex everyone's talking about? <laughs> where is it? I've combed I, through like, it three times and I exactly, can't find it. Like, you know, I've not seen the gay sex. I'm seeing a really great issue of Saga, but I've not seen the gay sex. It's a phenomenal blind- issue, wasn't oh, it, was it? Blinder. Oh. It was, it was the best it's been maybe ever. It's I think so, too. I think this time. may be my favorite. Like, there was just, for me, I have, like, two tiny complaints. I kind of felt like the... Um, the Turn, I, I, in a way, wish that the scene between the author and Prince Robot was a little longer because I felt their emotional turns came a little too quickly on the turnarounds. But I, in particular, I felt that the authors did. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so we're pretty much on the same thing here. Prince Robot, a little bit easier, particularly with everything else. But between, like, I don't know, maybe the first 
10 pages in the last three, I was like, this is, this is, this is a, it's almost a flawless issue of a comic yeah, it, book. Yeah, it was amazingly good. And I thought that the last page reveal mm-hmm. was the best last page reveal they've done in the series. Yeah. Yeah, I I did I just did not see that coming, and it was one of those things where you're like, of course, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it really made you think. I want to read this next issue now. Yeah, yeah, I you're going on a break now, you motherfucker. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, and I think, oh man, I just uh, I, I thought it was right. really really good. But yeah. no, it's okay. Here's the thing. So I I read through I read through the PDF like twice, <laughs> and it didn't occur to me that it would be on the screen. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just didn't notice it, mm. and so I was like, "I'm not, I'm not seeing it. This is weird." Um, but then when I saw it, I was like, "Well, I can totally see why Apple would turn this down. It's mm-hmm. on panel ejaculation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I, I am, I am not a prude, but I'm also not surprised that Apple might have a problem with it." Right. You know. Right. Yeah, it's, it's um, pretty extreme. Hilarious, though. And, I mean, and, and so, but we, so we didn't, we didn't cover it. Right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or like this isn't really a story. Like the story is ultimately Apple says no to on-panel ejaculation in comic. You know, you I would read the story that goes with that headline, Graham. I have really? to admit, you wouldn't just be like, "Well, duh." Well, no, and the, duh. I mean, I just I think I just sort of enjoy the I like pretty much just, any news like story that says on-panel ejaculation. I'm reading. So, future um, tip for blog at people, you know. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so we don't cover it, but like some of the other coverage, like yes. when I saw coverage, they were saying things like, "Apple has banned Saga from all its devices because gay sex." <laughs> it was like, "Now I'm not joking." That was a headline, Jeff. Wow, wow! Uh, and it was like, this is like, there's so many ways this is strong. Mm-hmm. First, you can still read it on an Apple device, even if Apple aren't selling it through the. Uh, the app because mm-hmm. you can download it from the website and read it on your device because you can sync everything. It was on sale in Apple's iBook store mm-hmm. and wow. it wasn't necessarily because of gay sex. Like it was more likely if you'd read the fucking comic, it it was fairly obvious to me mm-hmm. that the ejaculation and not the gay sex. Yes. Although many people will argue with me on that one. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah seeing coverage like that, like completely uh just trolling for hits. You know, where it was just like, oh, Apple, K-Sex, comics, who, what? End of the world. <laughs> Let's get outraged. Okay, but to be fair, there were a number of people I follow on Twitter who were pretty fucking outraged and clearly were not were not trolling for hits. No, 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 no. I mean, don't, when you say trolling for hits, that does, I mean, like, maybe there was somebody in the, in the chain, but I would say that on some of those websites, there was just sort of more of a hair trigger sort of outrage, don't you think? I, I am cynical enough to say that the way that you present a story like that on your website, mm-hmm. you can present it in an I am upset way. Mm-hmm. Without literally genuinely saying, Apple has banned this from all its devices because gay sex. Mm-hmm. Like that latter one is lacking so much nuance. <laughs> okay, that, if, that if you think you're trolling for heads. All right. Well, I, that, I suppose that that could be. I, I put. I think there was enough nuance in the story that if you basically don't, if do, don't have any of that nuance in the story mm-hmm. and don't have any explanation of it beyond this has happened and I am outraged I think you're trolling <laughs> could be could be All I, I, and I'll take your uh, you have you are our savvier senior media correspondent so uh, 
it's me, senior media correspondent. Um, yeah, but I so that that really, really, like the the coverage really upset me. But then when Comicsology were like, it was us, twenty four <laughs> fucking hours later. Yeah. The fact that everyone didn't think turn around and was like, "What the fuck, Comicsology?" Right. Although some Sir. people were just not on the same news sites that were losing their shit. Yes, I know, but also it has to be said. Um, there, there was closing of ranks after that as well. How I think I, uh, certain parties would not answer any questions about uh, the situation. I see. I see. So, um, which you know, uh, I think changes the way that people report or decide not to report it. I think there's a lot of well, wasn't Apple after all, as opposed to Comicsology is fucking with us. Comicsology <laughs> is actually fucking with us. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and there is, I think there is a lot of people, you know, so Graham, here's, here's my question for you. Um, Taking off your senior media consultant hat and putting on your senior business analyst consultant hat. uh, Do you feel that, um, do you feel that the, the whole comicsology now has the monopoly on digital comics situation happened entirely too quickly do do you think that there's something do you think do you think the comics industry too, too quickly in what way do you mean that in the sense of do i think that the monopoly is bad because comicsology quite clearly doesn't have its shit together or do you mean it in the sense of you know i actually i don't understand what you mean by too quickly well you have to unpack that uh, but yes let me unpack that well we have a situation where comicsology is the is the monopoly uh in the monopoly seat it is it is the little guy running around the board Comicsology is diamond. So, and what I'm saying is, is that it seems as if, considering it was a very short period of time in which the digital comics marketplace grew, I was wondering, do you think that other forms of quote unquote new media or this new digital media marketplaces are just as likely to fall into this uncomfortable monopoly, quick monopoly? monopoly situation sure Sure. i mean look at music Mm -hmm. itunes basically is the monopoly for the majority of people Mm -hmm. and that was a much slower growth yeah yeah exactly Uh, and i but i think the alternative is also true because you i mean who is the monopoly on streaming content is it really netflix because amazon are going to have original exclusive content they've also signed up some shows exclusively sure after let's my my feeling is and i could be wrong is that in the other media, for example, you have, um, you know, iTunes. Basically, once the monopoly position was reached, the record industries then became realizing that they had basically handed over the keys to the kingdom to Apple, began the process of building up other marketplaces, such as Amazon. Sort of similarly, I think, streaming content. Netflix had pretty much sewn it all up before people started going, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, we might not like that. Yeah, and so... I I, I, I I agree, but I think that I think that while iTunes is like it for music, essentially, I mean, there are alternatives, but they're almost so far below mm-hmm. that it, it's kind of... Uh, right. um, I'm not sure that streaming video is necessarily there yet. I think iTunes is almost there Mm -hmm. but i think that the space is still malleable enough because i don't think enough people have produced stuff exclusively for Mm -hmm. the internet enough yet 
Mm-hmm. I mean, you could make the case that I that YouTube mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is as powerful as, as Netflix in that space. Right. And YouTube also has more exclusive content and different formats of exclusive content. Yes. I don't know. I I think there, there's video is is different uh, but in terms but going by its comics i think that um i don't think it's comics exclusive i think comicsology is the itunes of comics mm-hmm. and i think that if you ask the majority of people they're perfectly happy with that they like the idea that there is a single stop mm-hmm. i think the problem is that comicsology is not that there is a monopoly but that comicsology is a monopoly and comicsology for, uh, with the best will of the in the world, A just made a really really shady maneuver, mm-hmm. and B crashed when Marvel did its seven hundred promotion, and I think that's two like really big fails for it, mm-hmm. really close together, which right. I think all of a sudden makes people very nervous about comicsology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, agreed, agreed. Although I got my I got my um, Marvel seven hundred invite today, so there you go, dude. I got it literally as I was booting up Skype to call you, and I was like, You've, "You have until Saturday." Yes, yes. So you'll be fine. And so, it, right. Well, and I have to say, there is that way of like, um, how do I put it? Like that's a, a relatively decent form of restitution. Like the saga thing's pretty sucky, but at least Marvel and Comicsology. Well, I mean, I think they, they, they defeated the eventually. purposes of it. Yeah, exactly. Well, this yeah. isn't, I mean, this is long by the internet scope of terms, but it's not that long, you know. And hideously enough, I do have to admit that I think I told you my whole horrific, to, you know, <laughs> Jeff's, you know, turn is the cowardly traitor who slinks off to the Marvel 700 promotion. And I, I, I you know, managed to put like 40 items in my cart and check out with them and then only like, Eight showed up, and I like you know rent my vestments and tore at my hair. The other, the other twenty-eight books or something like that showed up, like over the course of the next month. So, see, they had your they had your mind. Here's a question for you. Yes. How does Comicsology do restitution for Saga? Well, I'm can, can it? I, no, it can't. I mean, that's my thing. Is there's no way that it can because it's is a how do I put it it was a maneuver that ended up engendering bad will but I think they need to figure out some sort of like you know some sort of form of better disclosure or blah 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 but in terms of a restitution thing no it was kind of like well we fucked up and we may have like created some dissatisfaction in the marketplace with the way that we um, handled the situation, but you know, at least for me, I remember. Um, I remember back when Comicsology was having problems with basically their new comics not showing up on the app. You know, on like New Comics Wednesday, and people complaining, and it was because this, the books were laggy and getting approved by Apple. You know what I mean? So sometimes I sort of wonder if some of this culling actually has you know, sort of grows out of that, you know. Um, all of which is to say, I'm not sure that anything that they were doing was anything other than being uh, suffering from an overabundance of caution. You know what I mean? Even if they kept their mouths shut for 24 hours, I'm like, the tw- 24 hours is kind of only long in internet time, you know? 
I sure, feel. but it was really long in internet time. Sure, yeah, and and it is it is an internet only company. But I'm sort of like I don't think I I have a I have a lot of problems with the way they announced it because if you read the David Steinberger blog post, mm-hmm. he's basically like, so it was us, mm-hmm. and Apple got in contact with us to tell us that it was okay, and so now it's going to go up. And I read that as we probably wouldn't have said anything, but Apple have got in contact and asked us to sort this out because it's not their fault. Yes. And so now we're telling you now that there's a solution. Yeah. It just seemed incredibly cowardly to me. Yeah, I mean, that's sure. But I mean, how do I put this? I'm like, like, this is, I think, out of all of Comixology since, even the Marvel 700, this is pretty goddamn minor you know i mean oh you see i i don't i don't see that at all oh really uh the fact that sex and uh zombies showed up yesterday Mm -hmm. as well after this kind of leads me to believe that comiXology has been quietly not submitting things to apple all along that's what i think doing their own internal censorship exactly which is really problematic for me yeah and also the fact that they're now like well you know, things aren't up on our app, but that's because Apple's delaying. I just don't believe that now. Mm, interesting. I'm like, you've you've given me you've actually given me reason not to believe what you say. Sure. Which is that you're using Apple as your fall guy for everything yeah. in any given situation. So yeah. next time you say it, why should I believe it? And I think that's a real problem. I, well, I think that's a I think that's far bigger than the demand for seven hundred free comics. Oh, I do, too. I do too. But Graham, I'm saying, like, don't you think the fact that people have continued to sort of holler at Comicsology, the fact that hmm, the Comicsology does not actually come out and say anywhere that the purchase, quote unquote, of your comics is is a license, is a, is essentially a long term rental. You know, people have people, including like Warren Ellis, but across the board, have been saying, and some people, of course, are being you know too extravagant and saying like, "Oh, this is why you have to provide us with a DRM-free alternative." But like, Comicsology continues to talk about buying the about people buying their comics when, in fact, they're licensing their comics, uh, and and also Comicsology had kind of a, a fuck ton of problems in terms of some very vocal retailers disagreeing with the retailer agreements um, that I think Comixology addressed only in the most minor of ways, as far as I can tell, you know? I I agree with all of that. So I was, I'm just I, saying... No, I, I was more saying, I think this is far more important than Marvel 700, which is what oh, I thought yeah, you'd yeah, say. Yeah. I, I no, thought no, you'd no, say no. Marvel 700 is a bigger deal than this, and I was like, no! <laughs> no, no, and that's my point. I don't think so either, but I do think that, how do I put it, that we've seen the <laughs> that seeds... That is a scale. <laughs> that, what's that? In the grand scheme of things, they have done much shittier things. Yeah, that's kind of what I feel. Is is or or that this is part of a much shittier form of behavior that you know um, a lot of saber rattling on the internet aside, we've seen you know throughout the life of comicsology, and we really kind of um, like I said, I think there's more troubling signs that happened earlier that are bigger. And it, for the most part, have gone uh, unlooked at. And I think, unfortunately, my worry is will continue to be, um, you know, that we're just going to continue to turn a blind eye to it. I mean, it, and, but is that not the way that people operate? I mean, iTunes and Apple have all manner of oh, absolutely. ethical, horrible dilemmas. And yeah. most people are basically like, you know what? 
that does suck. However, I have a two-click system that I can buy music on and a shiny iPad that I can listen to it on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. And I think Comixology is the same thing, which yeah. is essentially like, it makes my life easier, so okay. Right. So I mean, there, there is difference in that you actually do get to download and keep the music you buy from iTunes as mm -hmm. opposed to Comixology. You know, if they go bust, you might be fucked. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I don't know. I think it's the same attitude on behalf of the consumer. I guess that's what I'm saying. Well, I'm saying too. So do you really think that they're really going to suffer any any long-lasting fallouts or that they're really screwed over this? Or do you just sort of mean... No, that... I, I wish they were. I, mm, I see. Okay. I, I, I want people to look at this and basically say, you've actually given us reason not to trust you now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like you've been caught in a lie and why should why should we believe you? Why You're going to have to work harder. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of what I would like to think. But I, I think that's the unfortunate problem with monopolies is they don't really have to. And I guess I suppose this is my second question is in the same way that I feel that record industries were eventually were like, we got to come up with some sort of alternative to iTunes, admittedly probably too late, uh, that the studios are kind of going, well, wait a minute, I think we need an alternative to Netflix streaming, you know, possibly too late do you think that because because comiXology is relatively still new that there's the possibility that that comic book companies are going to be like you know what maybe we really shouldn't have all no. these eggs in one no. basket no yeah i mean you saw that happen slightly last year when dc like finished their exclusive and we're like we're going with amazon as well but at the same time they're like we're going with amazon as well mm -hmm. I, I think ultimately comic companies will go what is easy for us and has a lot of market reach mm -hmm. that's okay right. as opposed to we're going to actually spend money and build this up and to be fair i completely see why mm -hmm. because the alternative is dark horses store mm -hmm. you know and as a kindle user i can't use that Thanks very much, Dark Horse. Oh, really? You guys, they, they didn't put a, a an Android app out for the Dark Horse? I think there's an Android one, but I don't think there's a Kindle one. I remember looking a couple of months ago, and I was like, great. So I actually just can't buy anything. Oh, I, I can buy it on my laptop. That's not where I want to read it. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Huh. Well, that's, uh, I agree, because I'm... Or, or for that matter, Marvel's Digital Unlimited. Yes. Marvel that's only iOS as well right now. Oh, right, right. Although I imagine at the very least they'll get that onto Android. I, I yeah. know that they're... But, but I, think, I think that's the problem, you know, because basically then the, comp the publishers have to do that. Sure. As opposed to our technology partners working in that. <laughs> technology you know? partner. Yes, it's true. It's true. Absolutely. I, I, I don't think the publishers want the hassle. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And to be uh, super cynical... Mm-hmm. I don't think the parent companies want to pay for it. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. you look at what's happening with Disney today, and you're like, oh, that's really not a good sign. Oh, you mean, is there a news story today about Disney? Layoffs at Disney. Oh, shit. Oh, okay. All right. That sounds familiar. Is this a second round or something? Or? It's, it's a lay layoffs at Disney, not at um, Lucas mm. or Pixar or anyone. It's actually at Disney this time. Wow. Holy shit. Um, and I think... I think you know that's that's the way things are trending, mm -hmm. and so that's why when uh, Marvel did their South by Southwest announcements, and they're like, "We're doing you know motion comics, <laughs> we're doing <laughs> audio comics," part of me was just like, "You must be joking! Right? How much money are you spending on that that 
you know, are you honestly, do you have money to burn now that Avengers is a horrible success? Mm-hmm. And if so, you should spend it elsewhere. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amount, your ROI on that is not going to be worth it. Mm, you said ROI. See, you really are a senior business consultant. How great is that? <laughs> and on that note, Jeff, let's change the subject. Okay. Sounds good. So comics. Do you want to hey, talk some comics and upbeat things? I keep, I'm like, oh, that was I the do, other thing. I, I'm like, I, do. I okay. do. I do want to talk some comics to be upbeat. Um, I, amusingly, just from what we were saying, Avengers Assembled 14 AU is the uh, H. Voltron tie-in issue, mm-hmm. which I picked up uh, because it's written by Al Ewing. Oh, oh, right. No, no pressure, Al Ewing. Right. But I picked up this for crossover for a series that I'm really not enjoying, <laughs> purely because of you. Wait, Avengers you know, Assemble, like... you, you run hot and cold. You were liking Kelly Sue's stuff on it, though. Do yeah, but I, I'm saying the, the Age of Ultron stuff. Oh, I see. Sorry. Gotcha. Like, my, my, dis, my disinterest slash dislike. Yeah, of active Ultron. dislike of... Right. Okay, so um, yes. And it's great. Yeah, it's it's really good. Um, I'm not going to praise it too much because I know you have a problem with me overpraising things you haven't read. <laughs> okay, it's it's that you overpraise them once you find out that I haven't read them, which <laughs> which is great because I meant to point this out to you. You're like I am confused, and then like five minutes later, you're like this Al Ewing Zombo from next week is fabulous, and I'm like God damn it, oh, you just no, did no. it. <laughs> when you read that, you. It's everything you want to happen in Zombo. I'm not joking. That episode is made for Jeff Lester. Uh, ah, yeah. see, you do this. Okay, I totally agree with you. Anyway, um, yeah, it's really good. If all of Age of Ultron had basically the human interest, for want of a better way of putting it, mm-hmm. uh, of this issue, um, I would really like Age of Ultron a lot more. What this issue basically is, is Black Widow is in San Francisco catching up with friends, and the identity of the friends is like a big deal for me because it's the lawyer for the champions and stunt master. Oh my god, that's like the fucking best thing ever. That's yeah, great. exactly, right? Plus she used uh, to be in San Francisco back in Daredevil, yes. so it's kind oh, of even oh, don't more worry. She, she references that. Don't oh. you worry. Oh. Um, and so like the first half of the book before the Age of Ultron stuff happens is just, you know, my sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, superheroes acting a bit more like real people, I guess, mm-hmm. is a way, the way of putting it. Um, and then the Age of Ultron stuff happens and the Age of Ultron stuff is you see it happening mm-hmm. like you see the attack happening you see the confusion and basically the all of the dystopian we are in hell of the first five issues of the Bendis series mm-hmm. get earned in this issue mm-hmm. in a way that they're just not in Age of Ultron and mm-hmm. in Age of Ultron the main series I think they're actually proud of the fact that they're like suddenly you're in dystopia Right. Like, everything's fucked and it just happened. Mm-hmm. And my problem with that is it just doesn't feel real. No, it doesn't. Because but... you're just like, okay, we're in dystopia. Mm-hmm. Nah, nah, nah. Well, um, especially in this fifth issue where, like, you've got people in Austin, Texas being like, well, I think we better get out of town. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, they're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, did that seem like rub you the wrong I, way I, too? I, I told you, I stopped reading with issue two. Oh, well, how the fuck? Okay, so... Because I know, Jeff. Uh, of course <laughs> I, you do. I, I read spoilers and shit all the time. Okay. That I know. I see. Um, but no, so the the, the uh, Avengers Assemble issue, uh, it's really good. Um, it's It provides the human in for the story. Right. Uh, and, and the cost as well. Like, it, it shows you... 
everything from Black Widow's perspective. And it has to be said, in a way, it really reminded me of Jennifer Blood. Uh, Ewing's approach to Black Widow mm-hmm. really reminds me of Jennifer Blood in a really nice way. No, and I'm not don't mean that in the sense of like he's writing as, Jen- as Jennifer Blood. He's not. Mm-hmm. But there's enough of a. Um, I must compartmentalize this to get through this. Mm, I see. In there that I really appreciated. Right. You basically have uh, Natasha starting off this issue being like, I love today. I'm getting to switch off being Black Widow and hang out with my friends. Right. I don't get to do that. That's awesome. And then shit happens and she's like, okay, I can't care. Mm-hmm. I have to get just get the job done or I will die and all of these people will die as well. Right. I have to stop being a person. Mm-hmm. Which is really nice. I, I really appreciated that. Um, and the end of the issue, I guess, sort of leads into issue two of Age of Ultron proper. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, Aaron's the Aaron's the uh, emotional reaction that I think Bendis was trying to provoke just by going, "Hey, look at her! Look at her eye! That sucks, right? No wonder it's hard bitten now. Jesus, look at her eye, Ultron." Um, really like makes you understand it I guess mm-hmm. better right right um, so I really like it mm-hmm. I should also say the art is by uh, Butch Geist and Tom Palmer Ooh. and I, I don't know how long Tom Palmer's been inking Butch Geist but it's a lovely combination mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just really really nice yeah um, and Geist's layouts are, are really nice as well mm-hmm. the first page in fact, I've just realized I have the, um, because I bought the print comic, I have the bonus digital edition code that I can send you. So you can, yeah. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Uh, because because you, I think you'll, I think you'll really like it because like me, you're, you like Ewing. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think you'll also really appreciate things like the first page of the strip, mm. um, which is just a really nicely laid out page. Mm-hmm. Uh, not on a grid. and But the way that... Um, guys is laid out mm-hmm. you know where you're reading mm-hmm. that makes sense yes like yes. your eye follows almost a curve around the page mm. which is just really nice work Interesting. Um, so all told really great issue if the rest of age of ultron was like this i'd like age of ultron mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well so that why is you a... five? what's that why didn't you tell me about issue five of the actual series? Oh, you know, honestly, I I was like, we're going to be upbeat. Let's just say, let's, so I, I honestly would prefer to table it until later. So it, not just because I honestly, people were like, we're, you know, like, Ugh, guys, the Age of Ultron thing, enough. You don't like it. Let's just say um, it was interesting to me that there was a variety of things set up. Um, I was also kind of thinking a little bit of your blog ad entry where you were kind of like it almost feels like the fifth issue should be the first issue and I'm sort of like I think I feel like Bendis is trying for his first act or second act reversal but because the the first four or five issues were so light so so light that that the, it's it feel it feels late it feels a little too little and too late. Well, really. well, that was that was my real feeling with it mm-hmm. because you've had essentially five issues of relatively little happening. Yeah. I mean, there have been events. It's funny. Like I, I think I told you before, I've been listening to the, the Marvel. I don't this week in Marvel podcast. I think it's called the official uh-huh. Marvel podcast. Anyway, right. Um, and when they talk about this Age of Ultron, the main series, they're like, so much happens. And it's one of those things where you're like, 
Well, yes, insofar as, you know, there are things for people to draw pictures of. <laughs> right. But in, in the idea of there is actual forward momentum in the overall plot, mm-hmm. I don't think a lot has happened in the first five issues. Yeah. Um, and because of that, and because that's half the fucking series, mm-hmm. um, when they're then like, can I, can I spoil? Do you think everyone's going to be okay with Yeah, I think so. As long, people who are already rolling their eyes over the fact we're talking about Age of Ultron, uh, if you can handle it, we're going to fully spoil it. So, yeah. yeah okay, so, so then when they're like, okay, so we're going forward in time and back in time to fix it. Yes. Part of me is like, that's such a shift from the first five issues. Yeah. That feels like a different story. That mm-hmm. feels like a totally different story. So this kind of feels like issue one. Right. Right. No, I. you know, it's kind of interesting to me because I sort of felt... How do I? How do I feel? Like, I, you remember the other week when I was kind of like, I would read a sort of the Walking Dead in the Marvel Universe long form comic. Like, mm-hmm. I would read that, and it's it, the thing that I think is frustrating with this, with Age of Ultron, is it's not that book, but the way that Bendis paces it, it feels like it kind of was a truncated version of that book, and now it's changing gears again, and it's kind of. I I feel like he doesn't. Uh, I don't know. There's not as much razzmatazz uh, for for lack of to use the old technical comic term from Will Eisner uh, in Bendis's work to really change things up a little bit. And I think that that was. I think he feels like by cutting out, you know, cutting to dystopia whenever how many weeks it is in three weeks or whatever. Um, I. I sort of feel like he's like, yeah, who boy, normally I would have spent like 16 issues setting that up and then having to go crazy. And, you know, and I just feel like he's not, again, it, I, I, I worry about his ability to change gears, so to speak. What, what is really amused me was this weekend, I reread, uh, siege and fear itself mm-hmm. because they were at the library. And I was like, Hey, I've been thinking a lot about age of Ultron and it's weird pacing. I'm going to read these other Marvel events. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, see, just really, really short. I keep forgetting that see, just four issues. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's kind of crazy. It's like that Bendis did see, like Bendis is clearly purposefully playing with his pacing. Yeah, you know, it's not as if all of this is happening by accident. You know, Age of Ultron did not accidentally turn out to be five, uh, ten issues. Yes, absolutely. And so he's very purposefully doing it, and it's really funny because when you read Siege. Siege reads incredibly truncated, mm-hmm. and not in the it's hyper compressed and awesome sense. Right in the he's actually had to lop bits out of the story yeah, and that's feels very disjointed feels because like. of that. Exactly, exactly. I mean, this is this is how do I put it? This is a really hard thing, I think, for creators. I'm certainly uh, in some of my own minor creative work. I found myself banging my head against the the ceiling of like. Yeah, how do how do you change your pacing without making the piece feel divergent or fall apart? And I do feel like Bendis's kind of solution to that, which I suspect is the wrong one, is kind of a oh, I just lop off here and lop off more there, rather than pushing for oh, figuring out a way to start to recompress things. Like he needs to figure out a way to imitate himself. I think mm-hmm. that that that. To, so that he can function as a more compressed version of himself that that still doesn't jar when it starts to you know blow back out to sort of fuller length, you know. Well, here's a question: Do you think he's managing to do that with the X Men books? Mm. 
I feel like he's he's successfully playing with his pacing there. I I feel that actually, um, yeah, I actually for the most part with a bunch of with several caveats in place. I feel that the work that he's doing on his on the Xbox is much stronger than anything that I've seen for from him in a while. And admittedly, yeah. that's been me only checking in on him every so often over the last I don't know four or five years or whatever. But yeah, I, I feel I, he's before, good. Before before people leave comments. I know that Jeff Wright did not particularly like it, uh, all new X-Men when it started. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that it's a good book, but I'm saying that I think that his pacing, he's more successfully playing with his pacing there. Yeah, and I, I actually went from, like, scoffing to, I, I think, getting on board. I, I think you kind five. of take it, then, mm-hmm. don't you? Yeah, yeah, I do. Although, I I'm, I don't know, I, I might be an issue or two behind. It's, it's not a priority, and, of course, people have sent me codes that I, I don't even think that I've, like... Redeemed yet? Redeemed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the other thing that's very funny about Siege is I, I have read Siege, this is I think my third time reading Siege, it took me until three times to realize that it has the worst, most comedic resolution ever. Oh, really? Uh, this is the plot of Siege. Mm-hmm. Norman Osborn and his Avengers, which feature the Sentry, go and attack Asgard. Mm-hmm. Thor comes out to stop them. Thor fights the Sentry. Thor is beaten down by the Sentry because Thor cannot be the Sentry. Other superheroes get involved. The Sentry goes insane. Thor kills the Sentry. Mm-hmm. Because he, suddenly he can beat him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like there's a setup before where it's like, Thor can't beat the Sentry! And then it, Thor just kills him. Well, I can see that. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, that's... Okay, Let's. on the one hand, I totally agree with you, and I haven't read the issue, but I do know that that back when they had thought balloons... That would always you would, would always. Yeah, I'm pulling up the last. Yeah. Like, no, but that's just it. In the situation, that's not what happens. Mm-hmm. It's literally uh, the sentry goes bad, whatever his bad self is. Right. And Thor more or less just walks on and is like, "Okay, now I'm going to kill you," and he kills him. Oh, okay. Right. Like, there's no like grand battle, and he's like, "I, you know, with this die," because that's for yourself, where he does the whole yes. with my dying breath. Oh, I'm dead. Oh, I'm back. <laughs> I actually just like the idea that Thor like pulls out a pistol and shoots him, and everybody's like, "Holy fuck!" Exactly. Harrison Ford rides. <laughs> <laughs> moving on, but not moving on too far. Yes. Um, Jennifer Blood is out this week. Yes, it's it is. The, mm-hmm. the first issue of the new run. Did you read it? Wait, first issue of the new run? It's yeah. Michael Carroll. It, it, it's credited to Al Ewing, but it's actually not Al Ewing writing it. Oh, I was wondering because it's fucking credited to Al Ewing, and I'm yeah, like, no, it's Michael Carroll. It's a it's a new writer. Uh, I was wondering why it was wrong. Okay, interesting. <laughs> why do you think it's wrong? I was gonna say, I, I was, I love the opening line of the comic, mm-hmm. and it's setting up a really interesting direction for it. Yeah, the opening line I thought was perfect, especially considering where you last left the character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For people, just spoil it for people. Even though we keep telling you, you should read Jennifer Bloods because you should read Jennifer Bloods. Yes. So last time you saw the character, she was pretty much dead. Like she, mm-hmm. it looked like she had just been killed. Yeah. Exactly. Obviously, that's not the case because the comic's continuing. And so the first line of the comic is, "Well, she didn't die, obviously," <laughs> which I thought was wonderful. <laughs> I love that. It was just, uh, we know the comic's ongoing. Yeah, yeah. We we can't kill her off. Thing. Um, I thought it was a shame that the last couple of pages are fucked by the artist. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, really terribly fucked, as in, I don't think they read the script. <laughs> uh, you've read the comic, right? Yes, absolutely. So the, the last two pages are very, very, very intentionally say, I let my hair grow, I'm put on little weight, mm-hmm. and she just hasn't. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. I... And at some point, someone even makes comment about her being overweight, mm-hmm. and she's not. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't quite, I, I mean, I honestly think that that was, they didn't know, they didn't know how to do it and make it subtle. Because let's face it, this artist, and you know, it's interesting. This, this you, is not the greatest artist. Yeah, and I mean, I've been a little iffy about the artists on on Jennifer Blood in the past before. Ewing's gone to great lengths to to praise them, um, uh, and which I think is is awesome of him. But I've always been a little like eh, the art is on the sketchy side, which is you know. But for me, who reads for the story, it's not that terrible. But here. Like, everybody is pretty caricatured. Like, the, some of the people... Like, I've never seen a comic where the fat people in a comic book look like they are skinny people wearing fat suits. Yes, you know what I mean? That's, that's that's totally true. And, like, not just fat suits, but, you know, uh, Tyler Perry fat suits. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Big Mama's House level or, fat Or suits. the... Uh, but it... Yeah, the, the who is the artist? The artist is someone called Iman Katalos. Mm-hmm. Um, has a real problem in that they can draw basically pretty people, mm-hmm. and then if you ask them to draw an old an old person or you know uh, an ugly person, you will basically get a pretty person with some more lines in their face. Yeah, yeah. and the same is true. The same is true with the fats, mm-hmm. the fat people. Mm-hmm. The fat people basically are pretty people who have a li- who have a little bit more weight. Around their jowls, yeah, and then will be round. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, the the artist is not subtle, shall we say? Yeah, yeah. We... The the um, the woman in prison who is threatening mm-hmm. uh, Jennifer Blood uh, is basically a golem <laughs> <laughs> in the art. You know, yes. like it, it's like. You know, eight feet tall and yes. looks like the lead singer of Kiss. It's yeah. very, very like again, subtlety would be great, and it's a shame because I think Michael Cara's script really needs subtlety. Also needs his I, name I think... on it too. Oh, oh yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, because I was like, I, I think this could be really good. Yeah, and I think the script is really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think the artist is not, and I think it's I think it's a real problem in a way that I wasn't the biggest fan of Cuber Ball, mm-hmm. but there were times where I thought the layouts were spectacular, yeah, and the line work like I could I could live with the line work, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Because because the storytelling was real... basically strong. Yeah, yeah, I thought Cuber Ball as, as a uh, the storytelling and as as sequential artist mm-hmm. was great. It was mm-hmm. just the line work I didn't really care for. Yeah, but I, I think Iman Casales is is a problem for what Michael Carroll's doing with the book. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I I think the the artist the writer's not quite there. I mean, you know, Al Ewing is uh, I would say uh, he's pretty formidable. You know, so it's it's tough to like jump in and and I don't. It's not surprising that this wasn't. That's why I was like, huh. Is it because I started reading it? I'm like, oh shit! Right, this must not be him. This must be the new guy. And then I flip back. I'm like, no. So I went back and read it. I'm like, <laughs> what's happened? Ah, so confusing. So confusing. Well, so yeah. So I found uh, 
uh, Jennifer Blood is worth continuing to read. Actually, that's the thing that I thought is interesting. Is, is that, which is which is kind of surprising. Yeah, with the valuing finished, I was kind of like, so you could cancel the book now, right? Exactly. And so getting to the session and being like, huh, I'm going to stick around was a surprise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a big surprise. Uh, it's very, I mean, it's not that I thought Michael Carr would be bad. I really like his 2000 AD stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I, I, the way that Ewing finished his run, for me, really was, so he, so we're done, right? Like, right. And that's like, it. Like, we're, yeah. we, he, like, the point has been made, where do you go with this? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm I'm curious to see where he's going with this after the way this issue ended. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think long term I might not like it. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not going to say I'm on board with it, mm-hmm. but I'm curious enough to stay with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm 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 like you said, I'm curious enough to stay with it. But oh no, I'm not. I'm I'm also not especially hopeful. Uh, with all due respect to them. Um... And then I want to say I'm I'm like what comic book should I jump to next without bitching about sex issue two? Um, <laughs> you had a did you read Batman and Robin or Batman and Red Robin? Uh, I've read Batman and Red Robin. Uh, in fact, uh, what did you think of it, Graham? I liked it. Mm-hmm. I I liked it for two reasons. I really like this Carrie Kelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I just think she's an interesting character. I I think she's kind of good. I would like to see her stick around. I'm sure she's headed for a horrible, horrible fate. Yeah. I will be sad when that happens. More more so though, I really like the Frankenstein bits. See, I love the complete weirdness of Batman for no fucking reason whatsoever. Kidnaps Frankenstein because he's going to bring Damien back as Frankenstein. Yeah, as a Frankenstein and kid. That's so wrong that I feel like I should just like that should break everything about the character in the comic for me mm-hmm. but it's so wrong that it went out the other end and right. I was like well this is just batshit it's like this is Bob Haney batshit insane dude I, exactly I man I I really have to give money to Martin Gray because he was like you should pick up this issue A. Graham will call it spectacular and B. It's Bob Haney rific. So I'm like, I really have to go up for. Um, but yeah, it did. It actually had something that was kind of crazy. I do hope in a way that people come for the Carrie Kelly and then stay for the crazy, because I think that's probably going to be the way it works for me. At least as long as the art is continues to be as lovely as it is. Certainly. I mean, I think that's. Did you ever read this team's Green Lantern Corps? I did not. Uh, not. I, I, I should say only select, I think, some of the selected issues, because they were working on it around the time of the Sinestro War thing, right? They started Sinestro War, and then they went on all the way through Blackest Night. Okay, so I saw, I think, their Sinestro War issues when they were, like, run in, like, one of the trade paperbacks I checked out from the library, and I thought they were pretty good, actually, yeah. Grab the um, Blackest Night collection of Green Lantern Corps, mm-hmm. uh, because it is... It's the zombie movie you wanted Blackest Night to be. Mm. And then it's pretty much divorced from the rest of the crossover. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Because the plot is literally, all the dead Green Lanterns have come back to life, and they're all in the same planet. Mm. Mm. That would be kind of of fun. And Gleason does a spectacular job. I actually think his work on Batman and Robin is worse than his job in Green Lantern Corps. Oh, interesting. Interesting, because his work. I, I, and I think that's great. Yeah, yeah, it's really. I'm. I'm sort of like like reading the the last four issues. I really have been kind of like, 
what, like, where, where are the parades for this guy? Like, he's really, like, I guess because I'm not following Green Lantern, and then, so I make noises as if Doug, Doug Monkey's disappeared off the map, when in fact he's been there issue after issue. Um, you know, Gleason is drawing characters that I want to see, and, uh, you know, and, and just drawing the shit out of stuff, so... I, I'd say my favorite panel in this is... Bruce staring down Tim after mm. everything explodes and Tim can't look him in the eye. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. panel is just spectacular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's all in the facial expressions of both of them. Yeah. yeah. It's just really, really, really good stuff. Yeah, I, well, I think actually the stuff that he does, even with, with Frankenstein Monster, who I'm like, oh, right, I remember liking this character so much. You know, and then he got his own book. Yeah, well, but I think it was the way they handled the new book. Myself, I don't think that that's. Oh no, totally. I I feel that his appearance in this is very Morrisonian in the way that the solo book wasn't. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I I was I was quite enjoying this. Um, And yeah, part of me is sort of like, wow, if they do, like, the Batman and Robin, they do some sort of weird stealth Brave and the Bold reboot underneath this with like guest stars and you know a uh, uh, an unhinged batman in a in this weirdly super melodramatic kind of way i'm totally on board i'm totally on board and actually the carrie kelly stuff like you said i like the character i kind of like the fact that like tomasi made it a point to leave the extra piece of information about her out you know what I mean? And not just the what was she teaching Damien or what was going on there, but just there's just something about what makes her just the fact that there wasn't the panel of like, here's what makes this character go, you know, kind of thing that I sort of generally like in my, you know, formulaic way that they didn't need here um, in in no small part because I think Pat Gleason just draws the shit out of that character and I really believed her. Like, she seems like a real person. Like, even the stuff that I feel where they're kind of, like, overdoing it a bit, I'm like, it still works for me. It still works for me. Yeah, so. I, I'm really I'm really curious to see where they take her. Part of me is, I'd love to see her become Robin. But thing is, I wouldn't. Because then someone other than Pete Tomasi would be writing her. And I there's so much potential for this character to go wrong so quickly. Mm-hmm. The part of me is like, I don't want anyone else to touch this character. Yeah, sure, but didn't you feel that way about Damien back when he premiered? Yeah, but I honestly think that almost everyone who wasn't Grant Morrison who wrote that character completely fucked up. So Right, right. Well, so you feel that way about Tomasi as well, or no? No, that's true. I think Tomasi is like the one writer who, who did a Damien that was good. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I may actually have even preferred Tomasi's uh, Damien to Morrison's. Okay. Okay, so I I wanted to double check on that just because I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait. So my my no, thing is, is... My, my worry is this: mm-hmm. Carrie Kelly will become Robin. Carrie Kelly will show up in Scott Snyder's Batman. Carrie Kelly in Scott Snyder's Batman will make me want to stab my eyes out. My worry, honestly, is just that she'll end up fridged. To use the beloved internet comments. Oh yeah, expression. yeah, that's. I do not think that's almost inevitable. I really worry about it, I have to say. I really do, because seeing how the Batman... It's a shame, because I look back on the Batman family, and there was an era under Denny O'Neill where it was incredibly progressive, you know? Like, you had characters of color, you had multiple female 
characters. You had, you know, new blood really moving into the title and creating a lot of new stuff. And then watching that stuff kind of get disassembled, even pre the new 52, some of the shit that was going on, you know, the, the classic, you know, what happened to Leslie Tompkins and, uh, God, who did she kill off? Supposedly kill off, but not really. The Steph- Stephanie Brown. Yeah, the Stephanie Brown, Leslie except, Tompkins except twofer. She did kill her off and then they changed their mind. Yes, exactly. But that particular twofer was like, I was like, okay, so you guys, it just seemed like such a clear message. Like, you know. Oh, totally. It, it really was. Uh, here's the thing. I think far too many creators are in love with the idea that Batman is a tragic figure. Therefore, everything in his life has to lead to tragedy. Mm. I'm okay with that. I just think that, A, there's more than one form of tragedy, and B, apart from Dan Dio, you know, hungering for, for Dick Grayson's head on a pike, if it all gets to be any strong female character that gets created for the mythology, then you're just being dicks. You know what I mean? You're just, I guess literally, you're just putting the no girls allowed on the Batcave clubhouse. And that, it, uh, not only does it offend me, like, you know, personally and rile me up, I just think that it is also like the stupidest fucking thing ever. Like, honestly, the Batman franchise is one of the franchises that I feel is, could is, and I think actively was, an entry point for women into comics fandom and the fact that they keep trying to slam that door shut it's, 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 it's insane, yeah. yeah and it's I, think, insane. I think you're totally true. And I think the the cartoon did a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Huge amounts, huge and amounts. And I, I think it's the same for the Batman. Uh, sorry, the X-Men cartoon in mm-hmm. a way that I haven't realized until recently. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever realized how important the 1990s X-Men cartoon was. Yeah. Because I didn't watch it. And mm-hmm. because I'm not of the age group who would have watched it, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I'm slowly realizing that that is was such an entry point and is such a touchstone for so many people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And by when we mean people, we mean like a really great, like exactly what you want, like a vast, indiscriminate swath of people. And in particular, so when you get, you know, um, female viewers who become female readers, you know, that's 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 awesome. And it's, you know, that's just in dream. a... Yeah, exactly. Just in the dollars and cents of like, hey, you have twice as many fans now as you did before, lunkheads, you know. But even more, I feel in in just a larger like that will that makes this industry better. That actually makes get, helps us believe that it helps me believe that the superhero comics are actually going to survive into, you know, past the next five years or something. And it's so to see it just continually get shut down is just like, ugh, you know. Which is why, of course, when the when the X Men, the all female X Men team was announced, I'm like, this is great. Please don't, please don't fuck this up. Like in the back of my head, I'm like, please, 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 please don't fuck that up, you know. And yet I still can't help but feel like the first issue after Brian Wood is out of there. I was going to say, it's going to fuck it up somehow. Yeah. It's going to be the, we've all got new costumes, thongs issue. Right. Followed by Apocalypse, like, travels back into the past and kills all of them in their embryos kind of way, you know? So. <laughs> that, that does sound like an X-Men plot, it has to be said. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of sad, but it does. Um, in short, I would be perfectly happy if Batman and Robin became Batman and Carrie. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I but uh, I don't think I want to see Carrie Kelly go elsewhere because I think that I agree with you. I think that ultimately she will be headed for horrible fate. Yeah, I think so too. Which is which is kind of a shame. So I'm kind of curious to see how this uh, how this plays out. I'm very I was very impressed that this issue. <laughs> starts in one direction and goes in a very, very different place. So it it makes me feel that that whatever Tomasi has lined up, um, Tomasi and team, I should say, have lined up, that it's going to be a lot more, uh, there's going to be a lot more uh, unexpected twists and turns. I've said it before, but if you haven't read the earlier Batman and Robin stuff by Tomasi and Gleason, you know, uh, yeah. No, I think you'd like it. No, no, no. I, I actually kind of had that sort of like, hey, like I've bought because this is like four issues that I bought. Part of me is like, eh, you know, they're all like a buck ninety nine a pop now. I could start maybe picking one up each week or something like that. You know, I might yeah. do it. I, I really do because you've said good things about it, but it's only been in the last each, each issue. And and I did have this weird thought of like, holy shit, like the fucking death of the family crossover worked. You know what I mean? Like it didn't. <laughs> Unlike any other crossover. Yeah, I mean, I literally doubled the amount of Batman titles that I read on a regular basis as a result of that fucking crossover. You know, um, and that's kind of like I did. I so like even as I'm sitting there being like, oh, that fucking thing. Like in this weird, brutal marketplace kind of way, it it ended up doing on me what arguably what it's supposed to do. I mean, you know. It would have been nice if it had also told a good story, but I don't think that that's necessarily what it's was supposed to do. God help us. Um, did you read Batman 19? Bruce I did Wayne's not. greatest foe, Jim Gordon. Um, I, I did not. I to be honest, I didn't even see that in the story yesterday. Oh, really? Interesting. It it's kind of a strangely generic and gray cover. I you know it was in my pull box, but my eye did not uh, did not pull to it naturally. And it's interesting because. A few times I found myself wondering if Capullo was drawing it, interestingly enough. Like, there's something about uh, the issue where I just felt like some of the chops were kind of weirdly off. Um, not not up to re- Capullo's regular thing. But it was interesting to me, anyway, in that I started out utterly hating it. Um, and by the end of it, I was like, oh, was, I kind of like this. This is okay. Yeah, actually, this is good. So... This Weirdly is the two-parter that, that's basically killing time before they do the year zero, right? Right, I guess so. But And I, I had that weird thought of like, right, year zero is starting up really, really soon, so this cannot be a major thing, which probably suits it well, although although Snyder starts it as if it's going to be just be a six-issue thing. Um, <laughs> Isn't that the way Snyder writes, though? Uh, that yeah. Well, that's what I'm worrying is is everything that Snyder writes is like okay. It's like a six issue epic ep. Um, uh, but I I have to say I really did like it. It started off as how do I put it like really dumb. Like it really was dumb. Uh, in a like Scott Snyder doing a hey, what if you took an an episode of Batman the Animated Series and had Chris Nolan direct it? Kind of dumb. Um, oh God! Oh God! <laughs> but but I kind of liked where it went, and part of me is like, oh, you know, honestly, uh, I don't want to actually. This is one that we we will keep unspoiled, not just to be snotty, but just because I think um, because it really only has the one card to play, and if you if you 
that it, that the whole issue is built around it. If I give it away, it doesn't do anything interesting. But let me just say that that thanks to Capullo uh, and a little bit of what Snyder was going, I'm like, oh, there's a really potentially interesting Batman body horror story epic coming out of there. Like somebody's going to sit down, hopefully this team, and break out like all sort of the icky Cronenberg moves and. <laughs> And, if any Batman team is going to do it, Jeff, it's going to be this one. Well, and they could actually probably do it right, is what I'm saying. Is, is they really, I kind of had that moment of like, yeah, I would be all right. It's sort of like, yeah. So I'm, uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Uh, I dug it. Um, gosh, should we talk about, oh, you know what I'll talk about, which I thought was great? Um, Walking Dead 109 had various things that I thought showed various flaws that I won't bore you or other people with, because I honestly feel like we might have talked about them in the first oh, hundred so issues of the book. But I was shocked by how much I dug the four-page pre- four preview for Lazarus. You know? Oh, I love that preview. That that's preview, the preview that's online, right? I, I'm I'm assuming where it's like... Uh, sorry, do you want to go? Oh, I was going to say, it's the one with the, the two dudes talking on Puget Sound and it's interspersed with the assassin like killing people at the oil thing um yeah, I, think, I think that's the one that's online yeah fucking great yeah 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 i i honestly think i've got my fingers crossed on that one if nothing else that the four pages had none of the lag that i usually associate with rucka but also this is it also had a great way of like, I was like, oh, these are all things that are important to Greg Rucka that he, I think he's finally assembled in a way that I really care about them as opposed to really want to care about them, but don't, you know what I mean? So I, I'm really excited for the book and that's this month, isn't it? Isn't it April? It probably is. It probably is. I gotta, I gotta drop it. Oh no, it says June, 2013. Is what well, it then, says. There you go. So it's not this month at all. Well, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I'm I'm really really looking forward to it. But yeah. then I'm much more of a mark for Rucka than you are. Well, that's it. I want to be a mark, and it never works out. And this was the one where I was like, "Oh, holy shit! This might actually work." Oh my god! You know, so it's the Greg Rucka book for Jeff Lester. Right, right, exactly. And part of that might just be that you know part of it is Michael Lark. But honestly, looking at like step by step and piece by piece of what they're setting up in that four pages. Like, each thing is chosen to carry a bit of larger information. Well, not each thing. I mean, I'm sure there's shots of people going, Ugh. But, you know, but it all worked. Like, I'm like, okay, I've got this premise in four pages, and I like where this is going. So, and, and thanks to Michael Lark, it looks gorgeous. So, yeah, it's, I just pray to God that, the, that it works out, you know? Not just for me, but just generally. You know what I mean? Optimism, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. Once again, this is the optimistic episode of Wait For Us. Jeff, I think we should take a break. Yes. Because we're doing an hour, and this is normally when things start to go in the fritz. So let's take a break and then come back. And when we come back, Jeff, I think we'll talk about some more comics. Yes, maybe even in an upbeat way, Graham McMillan. Well, looking at the comics I've left in my pile, we'll see if that's the case. <laughs> Big win. All right. Uh, uh, give me a minute or two, and uh, we will talk. Talk soon, Jeff. Fabulous. Talk soon, listeners. <laughs>
Graham McMillan. That would be me, Jeff. Yes. And we're back. <laughs> so now that I've called you, is this recording? Uh, that is a good question. I'm going to say yes, because I think it works both ways. Yes. Yes, it is recording. We are solid gold. Um, oh, You're you know- listening to solid gold listeners. <laughs> oh, my God. I was going to make that joke. And Graham <laughs> McMillan, solid gold dancer, which is the best image ever. So before we – when we're talking about being upbeat, let me just say uh, whatnots and also Graham McMillan that uh, I have – Ample, ample reason to be upbeat just about things generally, thanks to the wonderful people uh, who listen to Wait What? Because while Graham and I were recording, I don't know if it will show up in the mix, but Graham probably heard the doorbell ringing in the background. I did. Yes, that was the postman bringing me a package from our old buddy, uh, Voodoo Ben, a.k.a. Derek Moreland, who uh, shipped me his copy of Showcase Presents, Jonah Hex number one, because he was planning on getting rid of it and clearing out his shelves. I'm basically becoming the, hey, listen to the Wait What podcast and feel like getting rid of comics? Send them to Jeff person. Well, to be fair, you will gratefully receive all of them. I will and have and uh, am actually pretty delighted to get this in the mail. So uh, thank you so much, Voodoo Ben. Great reading right there. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm very much looking forward to it. So, And he, uh, in fact, had written me and was like, hey, I remember you saying that you were, you know, really wanted to hunt this up. Do you want my copy? So again, Thanks, for oh, Ben. Jeff, you should now start like dropping for really expensive books. Yeah, there we go. It's like, ah, oh, that spirit artist's edition uh, kind of thing. Exactly. Weren't you thinking about hunting that up, Jeff? <laughs> Wait, what am I supposed to say here? Yes, I was. I was Thank thinking you. about oh, hunting was, that up. I'm just, I'm just making fun of you for saying hunting that up, because I always thought it was hunt, you hunt things down. Oh. But apparently, hunt up. Uh, you know, hunt up, hunt down. You know, it's... What can I say, Graham? What do you expect from me off the You're cuff? a hunter. I'm a I'm a hunter and a gatherer. Oh, really? Because I'm just a gatherer. Are you? Yeah, I I let others hunt. I just gather. I just pick up after them. Have you killed that? Oh, that's great. I'll 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 take care of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just I've got it from here. I'll just yeah. uh, I'll, I'll yeah, that, just. That's uh... fine. Yeah, I'll, yeah. That's great. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for killing that. And that, that, that. Well, that's good to know because I actually was thinking of putting together a. Graham and Kate hunter gatherer little card for you guys, and now I know to make well, sure that yeah, I list Kate, it. Okay, yeah, Kate's the hunter. I'm the gatherer. That's that's the relationship. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I wear the gathering pants in this uh, in this household. Um, yes, uh, Archer and Armstrong number nine. Did you read it? Did you pick uh, it up? No, I. Here's this is going to sound so ridiculously um, conceited. Can't wait. Uh, I get comp copies of Valiant books. Oh, yes. But they send me them, like, on a monthly basis, so I don't get them weekly. So, like, at some point, I will get, like, a package and it'll have all the stuff. And it's kind of killing me, because I really want to read Harbinger Wars and Archer and Armstrong. Ah, that's great. I picked up Harbinger Wars, have not read it yet, but Archer and Armstrong I read um, and quite enjoyed. Especially because it kind of got me at this sort of, like, oh, this is going to be the, you know, last issue kind of thing. And sadly, I don't think sales for Archer and Armstrong are that great, sadly, which is sort of a thing. But um, I enjoyed it. I'm, I have to say, the art comes and goes on Archer and Armstrong, literally depending on who's drawing it, you know? Yeah, who is drawing it now? Is it still Emanuela 
Uh, let me see. I think it is. It is. Uh, yeah, Emanuela Lupicino uh, is doing this arc, and then apparently for issue zero, it's. Um, is it not Tom Fowler for issue zero? I want. I, I thought they were going back to the regular dude. Oh, Clayton. Clayton. Thingy? Yeah, Clayton. Clayton thingy. Clayton Henry. Is it Clayton yes, Henry? Yes, it is Clayton Henry. Yeah. Okay. Um. So. Uh, well, that that I for some reason I thought it was Tom Fowler because I am I'm a big fan of Tom Fowler stuff. Well, I think. Hmm, they do mention who's uh, Fred and Clayton is issue zero, and then I don't. They don't mention maybe because they've got an issue ten arc, and maybe there's a new. Well, Tom, Fe- I know Tom Feller's doing the Quantum and Woody books they're doing, so he's probably not. Uh, okay, okay. Well, that was. Is that what this preview was? Yes, that was the preview of this Quantum Quantum and Woody one, which uh, again controversial. Um, I um yes. I emailed Mark Bright. Uh, oh. To find out what he thought. Oh, great! Um, and it's fair to say that he's not that bothered about it one way or another. It seems. Really, <laughs> the response I got back was pretty much, "Whatever." Huh. Well, there you have it. He seems to. I think it might be because he he's not convinced it will happen. Oh, oh, interesting. He was basically like, uh, "People have talked about this so often to me." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That these days, I think whatever. I see, I see. So, which you know, sounds more disengagement. I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, I was surprised because I was basically like, "Hey, what is the deal with the rights?" And he's pretty much, "I'm not going to tell you that." And I'm not really that bothered about it one way or the other. Huh. Well, there you have it. I wonder um, what else is he doing? Is he's not still in the industry in some no, corner that is. I haven't paid attention to? No, I, uh, I I found him by looking up his personal website. Oh, I see. And his personal website is basically illustrations and the guitar playing he does in church. So hmm. I don't know if that means that he is actually working as a, for his church right. or, or or whether he's working as an illustrator. I have no idea. But I've not seen him in comics for the longest time. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. And it's a shame because, of course, I always enjoyed his work. So, um, Well, there we have it. Hopefully he's enjoying what he's doing. Uh, Archer and Armstrong good read. I wish I could say more about it than that. It's sort of a continuation of the storyline. It continues to be just, I think, kind of perfectly written by Fred Van Lente, and um, and I hope that it hangs around somehow long enough to continue to tell stories. So, because uh, I enjoy them. I, I, I'd say it's the book that sort of really sold the on Van Lente. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've been sort of Van Lente, you know, vaguely pro-Van Lente, but mm-hmm. not bowled over by him. Yeah, exactly. For the same, and this has kind of bowled me over. Oh, interesting. I'm not sure if I'm quite at the bowled over area of this, you know, but he is, he's, he is good, and he's very, like, this, I think, I think um, Archer and Armstrong really helps in that it, he's able to tie together all these different things that he likes and he's really good at research and so it's just a it's a clever knowledgeable read but also his ability to tell like an engaging story like it's interesting because it's like as much as I enjoy it and I super enjoy it it also still doesn't nothing really kind of sticks to your bones you know what I mean yeah I but weirdly enough that works for me on this book. Yes, it does on this so book too. Like, exactly. I'm like, yeah, this this should be a light, frothy read. Exactly, exactly. No, exactly. And I enjoy it for precisely those reasons. And yet, at the same factor, there's not. I'm still not quite 
there. You know what I mean? We're sort of like, I think when we were talking about good writers as opposed to superstar writers, you know, up-and-comers and people that we, you know, really think are, are strong. Um, I'm not sure if Van Lenthe is still not, like, there's this this work is really good and I'm now actively looking out for him I would say more than I used to yeah but I'm still kind of wonder if there's can't be a little more there there you know like it, it, it you know there are those guys who are just who do good professional work and they just kind of have that good professional tag put to them and they just somehow just sort of slide right through and I well, sort that's of... because they're professional. I mean, that's that's one of the things. If they are good enough and they're on time, sure, right. But who Tony Bedard, ladies and gentlemen, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, and and I went through a period where, yeah, where I quite enjoyed Tony Bedard's work, while I wasn't necessarily going to go out of my way to look it up. Or alternately, I did follow some of his later work, like probably when he jumped over for DC and just got. You and know. got screwed because yeah. he was like, "Hey, countdown to Final Crisis, everyone! Yeah. That's what I'm working on." <laughs> exactly. Those poor guys, man. They should do some sort of like follow up with those writers, you know, just to see like have they recovered? I, I, I have they recovered. I always want to see, uh, like it's been five years since this terrible series. What do you really think about it? And you, you won't get that. Do you know what I mean? Like you, no. it's not long enough. Yeah. For people to be like, that was a nightmare, and it didn't come together, and, right. you know. But I, I kind of that I'm waiting for the oral history of the comics I'm reading now. Right. Yeah. Exactly. In, in that sort of way that they that people used to spill to the comics journal, like yeah, exactly, and oh, and spill to the comics journal, like what happened last month? Yeah, exactly. Last month or three to five years ago or something, where they're like, oh, this doesn't really matter. I can tell you now, you know, kind of thing. Like right now, I think Joe Casey is the only guy who does that. I guess uh, I, that's he doesn't need comics anymore. Uh, let's face it, comics don't need Joe Casey anymore either. So I think it's really just that second issue. I of that, that was my segue. Jeff. Damn it, Christ, you cornered me. I just thought that it was well. Okay, so I picked up the first issue and I was like, I don't especially like it. But of course, I'm like, well, I'll pick up the second issue. Still not liking it, and in fact, there's a lot of it that I just, I, I, I'm trying to think what especially. There's, there's just so many bad choices being made. I think that's ultimately it. Is is that Joe Casey is one of those dudes, who, you know, there's there are guys who I think really bring some some discipline to their work, and and I guess I tend to really respond well to that. And then there's the guys who are super talented who kind of like are able to sort of, you know, swing by the teeth of their pants. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jeff, the teeth of their pants. And I don't think, I think Joe Casey styles himself as one of those guys. I don't think he's especially disciplined. Like, reading this issue, like, there's layouts here or ideas here that remind me of stuff that I've seen, say, someone like Al Ewing or Karen Gillan do, and I just felt like it was done poorly and badly. Like, just, there's just, oh, there's just so many sequences where it's like, it it's at best glib. Like, it really is like the, guy, the, the kid who's like, you know, goofing off in class and is a C student and is kind of vaguely outraged that they're not getting, like, high Bs, you know? So, 
honestly, I, I would love to send you this issue, not even in a digital code way, but just send it to you and be like, Graham, is it just me or is it not terrible? I'm not sure also why they chose to – did you see issue one? Or no, I, I did not actually. So he, it, it came out when I was, as you remember, completely forgetting to go to the store. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, so uh, I'm sure people would appreciate me talking about why I don't actually like something, so that it's I've got something to nail it to. Weirdly enough, one of the choices that they make is that, um, in addition to bolding words that are being stressed, uh, you know, like whether you believe that or not kind of thing, mm-hmm. not only are those words bolded, but they are actually color highlighted. So, oh, God, that's horrible. Yeah. so that's, that's really disruptive to reading. I can just imagine that. That would be horrendous to read. Yeah, it, it is terrible. And all, and in, in ways that unless he's like trying to, you know, piece together five different scripts that you get from the colored highlights – there's like multiple colored highlights in in e- even one balloon. So it's like, uh, not that I blame you the way you were living. It stands to reason that what you hung up the helmet, the psychological floodgates would open up big time. But you know, there are better ways to satisfy your curiosity. That you has five highlights and three different colors. Really? Orange, green, yellow, and then back to orange again. So that's very strange (laughs) yeah so I don't know you know again part of me is like maybe I'm like totally missing this and there is some like huge super brilliant like yeah you assemble all the but honestly I just think that he's like hey get it it's it's colorful language you know or the the whole idea because it's kind of um honestly sex reads like Joe Casey's before Watchmen rejected before Watchmen Night Owl pitch I swear to fucking Christ that's exactly what it reads like it's like sure I'll do a before Watchmen pitch what the hell well ah, we're gonna go in a different equally shitty direction oh okay well hey you know what I've got image on the speed dial and here's a lovely artist who you know I will maybe not pay as much as I should in a timely fashion let's go and I'm sorry. Rewind. Is there some basis you have for that? Oh, I... I I could be wrong, dear listeners. Isn't that what happened with uh, Butcher Baker? Uh, Is that the the artist was like, you know, kind of like, I'm, you know, it would be nice if I was getting paid or getting scripts. And Casey said something like... I honestly don't remember. I don't remember that, but that doesn't mean it's not true. Okay, well, let let me look... Let's let's see just how much... How many acts of slander I'm actually committing. And listeners, and fellow whatnots, please put the words, I think, or in my opinion, in front of every sentence ever said in By Me Ever, in case that wasn't already happening. Allegedly. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, let's see. Oh, gosh. Well, so... Joe Casey, Butcher Baker, uh, feud. Or I I was listening to while you were looking this up. I was listening to House Astonish the other day, mm-hmm. and at one point they stopped something to Google, and we do this all the time. And it was only when I was listening to House Astonish and Al Kennedy started making fun of live googling while you're recording <laughs> that I realized just how terrible we are, and the fact that we will stop a podcast and we'll just be like, no, 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 something. I know it's so it really, bad. It was, it, yeah, it took Al to make fun of, in that case, Paul doing it, 
for me to realize just how terrible we are. And so, and listeners, I'm really sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry for all the times in the past where we've done that and not thought about it. Yeah. And uh, that was also my attempt to cover for you while you were Googling. Yeah. So what happened was Tim Callahan was asked about the 10-month delay between issues 7 and 8 of Butcher Baker. And Casey said, quote, my TV workload is batshit crazy, and I'll completely cop to that, but it actually has nothing to do with the interminable wait between Butcher Baker 7 and 8. The fact is Huddleston found himself in a tough spot, having overcommitted himself beyond the point of rational thought. He felt... He fell way behind, and there was nothing I could do about it. It's frustrating as hell, and in my opinion, supremely embarrassing. It's not helping the cause of creator-owned comic books when creators can't keep their shit together. Going into this, I thought it would be a fun, breezy ride that I could kick back and get my rocks off doing every month. Turns out I've had to learn some harsh lessons from the experience. Responding Tuesday to Casey's remarks, which he ca- which he characterized as taking a moment to dump on me, Huddleston wrote on Facebook, <laughs> not to take a personal conflict public, although Joe wasn't shy about giving his opinion via an interview, but for the record, overcommitment was not the issue with Butcher's schedule. As much as I love Butcher Baker, it was a project that just didn't make enough money for me to live on. I had to take on other work to keep the lights on and work, work on Butcher when I could. I've apologized to fans and Joe for the delay. I'm I don't think that's the same as what you're saying at all. Uh yeah. That that could be. I suppose that's I, probably I, true. I in the version you gave, mm-hmm. it was Joe Casey was intentionally not paying. And in the version that you just read, it was literally the book is not making enough money for me to uh, be able to do it. Uh yeah, that I suppose that is probably true. You, you are. That is probably absolutely right, and I apologize for. But for... hey, let's keep that Joe Casey slander in there. Oh, I totally will. Also, he ate babies. That's uh, you didn't let me read the rest of this. Uh... The reason he never takes his glasses off is his eyes are just glowing with demonic power, Demon- like teeth. It's just like the teeth thing. Allegedly, from Corinthian. Allegedly, yes. Allegedly, he eats babies with the eyes that are allegedly the teeth that are allegedly in place of his eyes. Um. So, you yeah. Heard. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should say a name here to like actual slander. Somebody. Yeah, there we go. So I've heard from Ian Brill <laughs> that yeah. So not cool. So not cool. So anyway, uh, sex number two I thought was really badly paced and it was badly told and it's highlighted for no reason and I feel like Joe Casey maybe has ADD and then in the letters column he goes on to say like hey let's get some letters let's be upbeat about comics and then he runs a a letter by someone basically kind of complaining about the issue and then Joe Casey complains about him and I'm kind of like oh my god Joe Casey would be perfect for the wait what podcast because Joe Casey is about as unable to do upbeat as I think I am so hey I feel we did upbeat upbeat pretty okay last week apart from when we were doing horribly done I was about to say exactly when we talk about like comic artists dying in in poverty that was I think our upbeat version but at least we were upbeat about the comics we were reading um, yeah, and that's what people are tuning in for, Jeff. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. So, anyways, and of course, after that, you make fun of me for being upbeat about stuff. <laughs> Wait, when did I do that? No, on no, Twitter, no, no. When you're like, you and Mart were both Only like on books I haven't read, Graham, that are impossible for me to get a hold of, or once you find out that I haven't gotten rid of, got haven't read them, suddenly you're like, it's spectacular, I, I, and I'm like. You may be ascribing motive to me that I don't have there, Jeff. I, I <laughs> want to just point 
put that out there. I know, I know, Graham. And it it, it was actually it's it's mainly I can a tease. just make up a comic now. It's, it's like be like Jeff, have you read? Right, and when I say no, and the worst part is, Graham, that this would be like the fifth season of The Wire, where I basically say, oh yeah, I've read that, and you're like, really, what did you think? And I go on to talk about it in a vague way, and you're like, what about this and this? And then the next thing you know, we start getting people like writing in, where can I get a copy of this, you know? And it's a whole blind You can get a copy of the fifth season of The Wire. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what I meant. I just love the idea. Come on, Graham. We've got the possibility of hoaxing one another into an Eisner-nominated vaporware comic. <laughs> I don't understand why you won't oh, go with me God. on this. What else have you read, Jeff? Well, let me tell you. Um, of That's course, why I asked. <laughs> oh, meow. The claws are out here at the Wait What podcast. One can only tease another one about one's predilections for praising comics before... <laughs> It all goes to shit. Yes, and yeah, I mean, right I, I mean more than this my. This is our Robert Kirkman Tony Moore moment right now. <laughs> this is it exactly. By the end of this episode, oh boy, the problems, the the legal suits. Mm. So, uh, Saga Twelve, which was phenomenal and fantastic. Uh, Batman, ni- Batman and Robin nineteen, which I read and liked. Batman nineteen, which I liked. Um, Archer and Armstrong nine. Jennifer Blood twenty five, which I thought was okay. Uh, that preview for Lazarus I thought was awesome. Oh, I should mention that, because uh, I was supposed to have done so about four and a half months ago, um, fellow whatnot, uh, Dave Clark, has a new comic dive bar that uh, he posted online, like, I swear, like a month or two. Please go to the show notes so you can check it out. I don't know if you saw it, Graham, but it I, is... I totally didn't, and if... I will also be looking at the show notes for the link. Yeah, it it's 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 a charmer. I mean, honestly, I part of me is like I think I think Clark's got really good storytelling chops. Um I I want him to like like his figures. It it's about the dive bar is literally it's got this completely great whimsical idea about uh people stuck in boring day jobs. Uh, so at night, they basically take uh, special pills that allow them to go to ca- underwater cafes and play jazz in them, essentially. So you have, you know, a woman in her boring day job who at night uh, plays a sort of magical saxophone in a band for half-humanoid mare, mare people. And charming as hell. It's really that, that it's a, is lot a of fun. lovely idea. Yeah, it's a it's a lovely idea. I think his storytelling chops are good and the colors are s- strong. I think honestly it would be um the the figure drawing needs to be I think a little stronger. Like it's just it's not it's not quite fully there. Like I don't know how many more pages I think Dave's got in him before everything really kind of clicks and is tight enough, but but the actual premise and the storytelling and the color and and just the charm of the story, I think I think you would enjoy a lot. So I I read that I read that a while ago, and then reread it recently and dug it. Um, and then in this week's installment of Jeff Reed stuff that Graham probably wouldn't like, but I'm going to praise it abundantly, which is a totally different thing from what you do, by the way. Uh, I... I'm nodding sagely. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I am finally sitting down with the Dark Horse app and reading all the, uh, all. I'm starting in on the various Chronicles of Conan trade paperbacks that I have drunkenly bought at various Dark Horse sales over the last year or so. 
Oh, interesting. The the Marvel reprint stuff or the, yes. the Dark Horse stuff? Marvel reprints. I okay. can't... The Dark Horse stuff, like... Honestly, I remember picking up the Kurt Busiek carrying... Carrie Nord? Casey Nord? Carrie Nord. Carrie Nord, thanks. And and Carrie Nord, like two really super nice guys, by the way. Uh, and I like their stuff okay, but like for me, the, you know, the Kurt Twang is sort of the same way that like the Hulk stuff, which I realize I have to get to because a couple people have asked about. Um, in fact, let me detour into that because I don't have any great Giant Man stories to tell since last week. In fact, I don't think that I've, I think I'm behind on my my Hulk reading generally but my point that I never got to make about the Hulk which is basically why I think that he's such a potentially great character for Marvel these days is that he is because he's so formless and not set in stone I know this is something that we, you and I had talked about a little bit or maybe in a different context but because it takes so long for the Hulk to gel as what we think of as the Hulk there's so many different story ideas that they put out there and then throw away even in like the first six issues before even it really gets going but you know you've got like like you could pretty much spin if not one TV show you could spin at least five seasons off of those first six issues because in each issue uh, Lee and whoever he's working with Kirby or Ditko keep twisting the idea to kind of make it work like they keep banging on it so it's like first it's like it only happens at night and then it happens like you know before it even gets to the point of him being stressed out he starts using the toe trigger and then it's like he's mindless and only Rick Jones can control him and meanwhile there's all this sort of sub soap opera subplot stuff set on this army base and I'm kind of like like I'm like J.J. Abrams could do a TV show of this like J.J. Abrams could honestly ring a pretty decent season of a TV show at least one season out of the first five or six issues of the Hulk and so I guess my point about what's really awesome about the Hulk to me I'm realizing apart from just like oh hey he smashes stuff is until they get to the point of him smashing bigger and bigger and bigger stuff because it takes such a long time for the formula to kick in there's all these seeds that are sown that can be sort of played off in interesting ways now that being said I don't think apart from Peter David I don't know if anyone really did do a particularly good job of sowing those seeds well you know what I mean like when John mm-hmm. Byrne went back and did his take on things uh, and then Bill Mantlo sort of followed it up with his own take on top of that but like Mantlo's yeah, Byrne's take was very much like oh yeah we're going to go bet right back to like it's Banner but he's hunting the Hulk he's mild he's green it really took Peter David to be to go back to like the Joe Fixit stuff and start playing on the idea of like hey the Hulk he's a son of a bitch anti-hero and this is this is like the decade of son of a bitch anti-heroes you know for Marvel what can we do with this guy? And it turns out you can just do a ton uh, if you've got the right artist, you know? So, so so here's my numerous responses to that. Yes. First of all, everyone who's going to leave a note in the comments, it was Al Milgram who did the Grey Hulk before Peter David. Uh, thank you. We, we both know that. It's fine. Uh, we also know <laughs> that it went Bill Mantlo, John Byrne, Al Milgram, Peter David, and yes. not... Burn Milgram. Uh, Bill, I can't even say it. Wasn't it Mantlo, Burn Mantlo? Because wasn't no. Mantlo writing it around issue 300 and then yeah, there were some other Burn, dudes? Burn was like 313 or something. 
Right. And then didn't they swap again? No, no. I see what you're saying. You're it, right. It went it, straight from Burn to Milgram. Thank you so much. For, for okay. a very small time. You're and right. Then, then David. Um, <laughs> it's really interesting you're saying this because ju- just this weekend, I, the fact, I was thinking about the fact that unlike so many Marvel characters, the Hulk doesn't have an, uh, an iconic period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is no classic Hulk to get back to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we have, depending on which reader you are, I bet each reader who ever read the Hulk at a period has an iconic Hulk period, but, but it isn't but the same no, like, for everyone. Exactly. You know, because with Spider-Man, you're like, well, it's Ditko or Tromita. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. one of those two. Right. For Captain America, it's pretty much Kirby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You th- who else? Englehart. I'm sorry, Englehart. You, is... you think that's the one that people go back to? I'm not talking about like your favorite run. I'm saying the run that creators go back to. Oh, that creators go back to. I don't know. I mean, you know, Brubaker went back to Englehart. That, that's true. That is true. So, you know, I mean, I, I, and, and honestly, that was... When I say long... Kirby, by the way, I mean like the Lee Kirby stuff, not the Yeah, Kirby. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because no one apart from Rick Remender goes back to that. Exactly. It's like, ooh, Mad Bomb. I'm going to fucking Mad Bomb the shit out of this. Which is a shame. But he doesn't like to call it Mad Bomb because that's an M word. He'd rather call it Alex. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. That's really... Oh, my God. That would have been so much funnier two weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's still... Damn it! It's still comedy gold, my friend. It's just the gold market has collapsed. That's all. <laughs> um, no, but I feel like all the other Marvel characters have, like, you know, periods. Mm-hmm. Like, iconic periods where everyone's like, that's when the character worked. Yes. Um, and I feel like the Hulk doesn't. I feel mm-hmm. like the Hulk has never had a period where you're like, yes, everything's firing in all cylinders. Like, I think that the David run, weirdly enough, is the most, is the closest to that. Yes, I think so. But too. even then, so much changed right. that you could never be like, okay, there's a classic version of the character. Well, I think because David realized, uh, and this is something that I was talking about with Brian Hibbs, like a couple of years ago, I think, is, is you know, Hibbs's contention is, is that you have to keep changing the Hulk every couple of years. Like, there's something about the dynamic, like, you can't keep it, it gets stale fast. Like, what everyone well, it, says it, they it want. Is yeah. Inherently a limited idea in a way that other characters aren't. Exactly. Exactly. That, that, you know, for better or for worse, you can only get about a year of Hulk stories before you have to change it up and do something else, you know? And maybe it's two years, three years, I don't remember when, but, you know, David was smart enough to keep metamorphosizing it, but, you know, for the and for the most part, what ends up getting done is is that, you know, it's basically just the amount of writers and artists that the, that the book sloughs through, you know? But... There, there. I think you're right. I think there is no. I, it, so the lack of iconic run really serves that character well. I think, it, at least for me, in the sense of for what I want, which is a little bit of like reading this character and kind of getting in touch with what imaginatively what appeals to me about the character. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, I, I, I think it, I don't know if it does serve the character well. Mm. I think it serves the character well in. This is going to sound ridiculous. I think it can serve the character well in a creative sense, in that creators feel more free to experiment with the character. Yes. But I think that it doesn't serve the character well when, A, you have an uninspired creator. Oh, yeah. Or, B, you're actually trying to create an identity for the character. If the character's entire identity is based on he's going to change every year, 
then I think it's really difficult to to I don't want to say have a Hulk brand, but I kind of mean that. Well, like, he... isn't the Hulk ultimately vaporware? Apart from he's green and strong. Mm, vaporware in the sense of like he doesn't show up, or wait, in the sense of it's not re- there's no real there there. Oh, there's no real there there. No, agreed. I I think that actually the 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 there's a variety of problems with the Hulk, but generally the big problem is right. He is green and the strongest one there is, but all of the rest of the stuff, like whether he's kid-like or whether he's in, you know Joe Fixit level of intelligent or whether he's fully Bruce Banner level intelligence, um, in some ways the I think part of the problem is is that uh, I mean look at the Jason Aaron run and how long that appeared to stick. You know, before they were like, <laughs> that was really what fifteen issues. Yeah, if, I, if fifteen that... issues at Marvel rate, which was like yeah seven months. Yeah, which was hyped to high hell when it launched, and then it was like, okay, we're going on to the next. And frankly, Mark Wade. Yeah, and I and I kind of think at least you know based on the three issues of Indus, uh, in incorruptible Hulk or whatever uh, unremarkable Wade, Hulk. Wade is- Wade's is indestructible, and Aaron's was just incredible. Okay, so on indestructible Hulk, uh, I I don't that's I don't think that that run doesn't look like it's sticking. You know, I don't know most of the, like I I think I'm an issue or two behind. I have people who've actually sent me the issue, so I could see how things follow up with the whole Atuma thing. But I think people were like, it's not it's not working. Like a lot of people. The Hulk is really hard to get right. Is mm-hmm. the He's really, really hard to get right. In it, part because everyone does have a different definition of right. Yeah. Well, and I think, how do I put it? This is my other thing is, is like, there are those characters that I honestly think, like, the harder it is to get them right in comics, the more that they are awesome for other media. Like, I kind of think that uh, if you do kind of the way that you could do a Hulk TV show or like Doctor Strange I think would translate incredibly well to the movies and yet you never can really quite get them to kind of gel on the page like you know because because in a way I think that the Hulk like those early issues you know like it it helps like I'm at the period now where they've introduced the leader and it's Ditko telling stuff and because Ditko is just a tremendous storyteller like things are just popping, you know. You get Glenn Talbot in there, so you've got a romantic triangle going on on base. You know, the leader was this mysterious boss, which is such a big uh, Ditko tell. It seems like he, you know? yeah, he does not like bosses. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a big fan of like well, but also of building up the mystery, like the mystery boss. Like, don't show who this boss is for like three or four issues, or you know, in this case, oh, Spider Man. You know what man. I mean? What have you have you read Ape's? Uh, latest post at Savage Critics. Uh, is Guardians the... of the Galaxy? Oh yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just, you're describing the Bendis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, am I describing the Bendis? Oh, you mean in the sense of spoiler character who unmoors a long-standing status quo? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bendis but... stole that from Dinko. I don't. But I don't think that. Well, okay, maybe. I mean, like, I don't think. Do you think so? I don't think that Dinko's characters unmoor the status quo, though. Well, you see, I I actually had problems with Ape's uh, definitions in general. I see. I think that what Bentis' characters do is actually the same thing that he ascribes to uh, Snyder and the Batman thing. Mm-hmm. The startling new mystery that reveals a sinister, unexpanded world that the main character was previously unaware of. Is I find the two really similar. Yeah, 
Because yeah, what yeah. they both come down to, to me, is there is an unseen force that is going to upset the hero's world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, th- I think they're really close. And I think that that's Ditko. Mm. I think Ditko is the... I suppose you're right, considering how long the, the, the person who freed the people from the raft went unexposed in the Avengers, right? Because it was a while. It was the longest time, yeah. And and I mean, I, I of course, my problem is, is is that Bendis kind of like fails on those reveals for the most part, right? Like, who did that end up being? Was it anyone? I was it not the scrolls? Was it the scrolls? Yeah, I, was it not? Was it not part? Was it not all tied into secret? Was it that long ago? I was just like, <laughs> so, so, hey, listeners, if you could actually remind us who set them free in this draft, I think it was the scrolls. I could be wrong. Okay. That would be uh, that'd be very interesting. I have to tell you. Uh, so I like I said before, I got my invitation to the Marvel Seven Hundred thing. Yes. Uh, some of the free comics I got are the Wonder Man confronts the Avengers thing, which I I'm just looking forward to read to find out where the fuck that went. Oh God. Because I know it didn't go anywhere good. Because I remember you telling me. Oh, it was terrible. That was fucking awful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm. I'm. Again, we've been through this before. I really like reading stuff that I, is not necessarily good, but is interesting. Yes. It's failure, right? And I, I like I, that's why I'm really looking forward to reading that, right? And I paid nothing for it, so you know, right? Right? No, it's true. I, I picked up some great shit in that Marvel 700 promotion. I mean, really, like after whining and whining and whining that I would never have the chance to pick up, basically have the the two issues of the Thanos. Um, well, yeah, ba- yeah they're there. Yeah, they're there, and it was like, oh fuck, okay. So now I've got the Avengers Annual and the Marvel Two in One in like one ish, one issue, one gorgeously recolored issue, and then I have the first issue of the Thanos um, Gambit or whatever the hell it was the called. Recolored? If it was recolored, I would have picked it up. Yeah, I think it's it's it it's colored for digital. It doesn't look like a scan, if that's what I mean. It's not it's not it's not Conan level recolored, but it's recolored. Um, the the colors pop. Let's put it that way. It's a, what, it's a what is Conan looking. level recoloring? Well, Conan level recoloring is to the level where people accuse it of more or less touching up the text. You, you, you know what I mean? Like that whole digital effects thing, like where instead of it just being fiery red in the background, it's like fiery red and orange and yellow. Like the, the sort of, some people have accused it of oversaturating the palette and overwhelming the artwork. Uh, in the Conan stuff. Honestly, my only problem with the Conan stuff, which I should move back into talking about, if I don't know if we cover, covered enough of the Hulk, but anyway, if you pick up the Starlin stuff, it looked clean and nice to me. Let's put it that way. It doesn't. It doesn't really. It's it 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 glows in on an iPad the way I want it to, but it's still very much the basic colors, which I thought were colored very very well back in the day. So those are just awesome looking books. Um, so, so wait a minute. Were we going with Wonder Man, Avengers? Oh, Ditko, right. So Ditko, Bendis, wow. You, we got us all over the place, Graham. Uh, I, I'm going to throw a flag on the field and basically talk about the Chronicles of Conan now. I, th- I think you should, because we, we scattered. Yeah, so I picked up, uh, I picked up basically volumes 5 through 10, maybe 5 through 12, which are the volumes that, um correspond to the issues when I was reading the stuff as a kid. And A, I'm fascinated by how little of it I actually remember. Like, unlike like my Captain Americas or something, or my even God Help Me Marvel team-ups where I read each issue three times through, I think the Conan stuff, like, I read it once, 
I got a transgressive thrill out of it, and then I moved on. Like, it's really fascinating to me that I was reading this stuff when I was a kid, because Conan is pretty anti-heroic. You know, I mean, on the one hand, he couldn't be more... Like, he's always sort of, like, saving the woman... Like, anti-hero in sort of the spaghetti Western anti-hero kind of way. You know what I mean? Like, he saves the woman, he makes sure the right thing is done... But he's not. He's going to shoot Greedo first. Like there's a there's a scene where like he and a wizard cut a deal, and the wizard's like, well, but the demons demand blood, and so Conan just like you know guts him, you know, and it's kind of like okay, that's that's uh that's kind of a low down dirty shame, Conan, the way you did that, but the issues are great. Oh man, I just I love John Basima's work and and seeing him. I mean, it's hilarious to me. That like when you talk about the definitive runs on Conan, apparently Conan's big thing was being on a horse. Because like there are seven, at least seven issues that I've read out of the last, I don't know, only about thirteen, where it the splash page is like Conan on a motherfucking horse, and the horse is rearing <laughs> up. You know what I mean? You know what's really funny? Whenever someone says Basima's Conan to me, I do think of him on a horse. On a horse, exactly. It's like fucking John Basima was so glad to draw a horse and really went to town. In fact, I think there's a note in the back because these things have copious afterwards by um, by Roy Thomas where he's like, here's what I was writing and here's what I was thinking and here's my little joke about what I was writing and thinking, you know, kind of thing. He says, like, yeah, you know, Basima wanted to get on this book and his splash page like the first splash page I ever saw because it ended up being the third issue in the continuity for whatever reason is Conan on a motherfucking horse and Thomas is like and that horse looked beautiful (laughs) and there's no way that Thomas said motherfucking horse first of all secondly (laughs) you have just made me think like Wright Thomas is the writer who loves talking about himself the most isn't he between like all the afterwards he does for all the stuff and yeah Alter and ego alter ego, and, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it's kind of wonderful. It's kind of wonderful that he's totally getting to simultaneously be a comic professional and be a comic nerd in a way that he's like, and now I'm just going to talk about myself. But it's okay. It's actually important. Well, that's it. I mean, that is it. Like as much as it is a slightly skeevy, perhaps it's ne- it's not at that same level of Steve Englehart's webpage where he's like, and then I revolutionized Batman. Yeah, because you know? because Roy Thomas can actually legitimately make claims like that. You're well, like, you, you kind of did. Yeah, I mean it's it's well, there's that. There's the fact that, but for the most part, Thomas doesn't. You know, he generally is like, like you said, he is he he likes talking about himself, but he's such a. Um, he was a comics nerd. He was like a comic, and part of a comics nerd came from that background of like talking to people after the fact and being like, "What happened? Like, who drew what, where, and why? And what's an issue? You know, what's a fun little trivia fact about this issue?" Like, he dig- digs that stuff, and I he you get the sense he is putting that stuff forward as stuff that you know he thinks that you will like. So. Um, so yeah, so Conan, man, uh, so satisfying. This is the thing that's hilarious is <laughs> after getting to like the third issue of like Multiple Warheads by Brandon Graham, where he's got that, you know, comic within the comic that's like barbarian romance or whatever, mm-hmm. I was yeah. like, I wish I could read that comic. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you just go read your old Conans? And 
And for bonus points, I've been watching Thundar the Barbarian, which have you ever watched that, Graham? I have not, but I was just reading about that the other day because I'm rereading uh, Marvel: The Untold Story. Ah, uh, right. So, so Thunder the Barbarian, Ruby Spears' uh, show that ran for apparently two seasons, which is uh, remarkable to me. It maybe about twelve issues per season. Um, was unavailable on DVD until about a year, two years ago. You can buy it from the Warner Brothers, their direct order store. You can also pay it by pay a little bit of markup and get it on Amazon and stuff. But um, I got that for myself, watched three episodes, and then was like, okay, I've had my fill. And now I'm sort of slowly working my way through it. It's Conan in the near future, and it's that thing of like, everyone's like, oh my god, this is Jack Kirby's show. But it's... But it totally was. He designed the characters, right? Well, what happened was, Steve Gerber apparently created the show. Alex Toth did the original characters design for the three main characters and then got pulled to other stuff and Jack Kirby does all the secondary design. So the secondary so all the secondary shit is fina- is so Kirby it's Kirby. It looks like I mean it looks like uninked Kirby stuff right there on the pages. Like there's this episode that I watched where a tribe of humans are living on a, an ocean liner that's turned on its side. And that are they, and they keep getting invaded by these these um, invaders riding giant bat rats essentially who scoop up the humans, fly them back to their citadel, and then use magic spells to drain them of their vitality so that they they the invaders are eternally youthful and strong. Thundar comes upon this nonsense, wants nothing to do with it, and you know wants to you know crack down on the wizards and the invaders. But first, he's like treated to like a meal after he saves some of these guys. The people who have been living on this ship, like it's sideways, so they like treat them to this meal in like this sideways banquet room. And the guy who is the leader of the tribe, of course, is dressed up as the captain, but is like you know, his shirt sleeves are torn and he's got a raggedy ass beard. And so it's very, it's like Conan meets Commandy in this sweet spot that just, it works for me. Like, I mean, it's tough because it's the seventies. So like most of the action scenes are like, I will now somersault over you until you get so confused, you fall over kind of stuff. But in terms of it being, and, and let's face it, Conan is wearing uh Conan, uh Thundar is wearing Uggs which makes for a very distracting experience, actually. <laughs> it's like, why can't he just take off the Uggs? But but the designs, holy shit, Graham. Like, there's a there's a, a, a wizard in the second or maybe third episode that is basically wears a giant astronaut helmet and a long flowing robe, and you don't see any of his limbs. And, I mean, it's pure Kirby, but it's also it's surrealist and brilliant you know because it's this you just see this astronaut helmet and it's so dispiriting and he's casting all these um, magical spells so like you know serpents are like rolling out through the front of the astronaut helmet and attacking people and stuff and then and I have to tell you this because this was the moment that I knew Graham and McMillan would love and also because it's a um, such a Venture Brothers moment basically but the plot of the episode with the astronaut uh, with the astronaut sorcerer is Thundar and crew make their way essentially end up at Cape Canaveral and they're in the process of seeing um, invaders like tear this place apart and they start fighting back and the wizard comes in because they, they're trying the raids are to get into um, 
the lair of the frozen people or lair of the ice people or whatever. Conan and uh, Conan Thundar and company. I've said that like nine times. Thundar and company go into the lair of the ice people, and it's three scientists who've been in suspended animation since the eighties. And they oh man, they yes, yeah, and so they yes. come out and they're like, hmm, what do I? So Thundar tries to protect them. The but gets overwhelmed, you know, going out to fight the wizard. The wizard comes to them and says, like, okay, my friends, now you must do what you can to help me because I'm to bring civilization back to its, you know, what it once was, and I need your help. And it was great because when the scientist goes, well, Thundar said we couldn't trust you. And the scientist, the the wizard, who of course speaks like this, goes like, "He's a barbarian," and I just love <laughs> that was just like the best moment. I like cracked up for like ten minutes because I was like, oh, "Holy shit!" Like I saw this episode when I was a kid, and I'm like, oh, "Holy shit, he's right." Thunder is a barbarian. Why the fuck would you trust anyone that's named a barbarian to like be like? Well, like, oh, well, don't, you know, for social mores and etiquette and, like, hear how things are in the new world. It's like, oh, well, listen to the barbarian. Like, by definition, why? So Everyone listening to the show, please make Jeff sing, but he's a barbarian. <laughs> because that was beautiful. Oh, good. I'm glad you approve of. Um, so, yeah. So, I've basically been up to my eyeballs in Barbarians. Barbarians in the far future, and believe me, they steal, like, Gerber, Mark Evanier, uh, I think Martin Pascal, Buzz Dixon, one or two other dudes that I'm forgetting, steal all of their moves from Thomas's Conan. You know, they give... He's got different oaths, like, in, you know, instead of saying, like, Krom and Mitra. Krom. Exactly. He's like, Lords of Light! You know, so... It, but it's great. So there's him in the far-flung future with a sort of, like, basically it's Conan in a commandy comic, except instead of animals, it's, like, wizards and stuff. And then I've been reading the Roy Thomas, John Basima. Conan stuff, which is all Conan on a horse, discovering a new lost city, de- dealing and double dealing with other shady characters and occasionally betting a wench. And it's it's been great. I have to honestly say, if you want, it's going to be hard for me to get more upbeat about comics in that sense. I was um, going to say, like, if anyone complains that you are not upbeat... They just have to listen to you talking for the last ten minutes. Exactly. We're in heaven with this stuff. Yeah, I really, really am. Like I, I've been enjoying it just ferociously, and it's fascinating because online I've seen where some people are complaining. Because fascinatingly enough, I'm not like a friend of the podcast. Jared Kobeck has read a lot of Howard extensively. Uh, I know as well as Lovecraft, um, and the uh, long box graveyard guy who I follow, who's written, uh, who writes a ton about comics and is a huge uh, Conan comics fan, um, talks about how Thomas, in his zeal to basically grab anything that was Robert E. Howard related and adapted into a Conan story, took stories with very, very different characters, you know, like... He doesn't. It's not nearly as mild as like, oh, he took a Cole story and turned it into a Conan story. Although there's more than a few times he did that. It's like he takes like characters like Prester John, who's like a you know Christian crusader who gets separated from Richard the Lionhearted, and that gets turned into a Conan story. And so, in a lot of cases, it's almost as if Thomas is like 
currently sifting through all this detritus of Howard's career and kind of going, uh, okay, there's a lost city. Uh, oh, and there's a giant spider and I'm sad. That said, there's an issue where Conan gets involved with these traders. T-R-A-D-E-R-S. I was going to say, yeah, thank do you, you mean those Tra- who are traitorous or do you mean those who are trading? Yeah, those who are trading on a desert route. And he gets, he goes to, a. Uh, a coastal town where they are making sacrifices, ritual sacrifices to a sea god. And Conan's like, well, enough of this nonsense. And the sea god is a giant crocodile, basically, that comes out of the ocean, which, you know, maybe it's supposed to be an alligator, but either one is supposed to be freshwater, you know. But the scenes with Conan fighting the giant alligator done by Basima are just it's just fucking great i mean it really is like i feel i have this horrible feeling that if i read enough of these i'm going to finally be able to make the jump to the hal foster prince valiant uh comics you know which i never really got into because i'm really for whatever reason now that i'm old enough i'm looking at this stuff and i'm like oh i really see the hal foster i see the burn hogarth i see there's joe kubert actually in there i didn't realize that kubert was such an influence on Basima, but you, I, I can see it in there. So, um, it's fascinating stuff. I'm really, really happy. Again, not really your thing, but Graham, watch Thunder the Barbarian because it's Kirby enough. You might dig it. I think we should just stop there because I don't know. There's something about incredibly happy Jeff that just <laughs> I feel is perfect. I feel we should just stop because I feel we should stop the podcast forever because there's something that makes you happy. <laughs> Yeah, it's like that little chapter. Like, let's just leave it here. Just end this. The trick to having I, a happy I've ending seen. is knowing when to end. Exactly. <laughs> Scene. No, but uh, well, I apologize for ranting on for so long. No, I, I actually, I Conan is. I can't read Conan. Mm-hmm. It's it falls into the fantasy category for me, and I have such problems with fantasy. Right. Um, but. The Basima artwork is just glorious. Like I could look at it for the longest time. Oh God! Oh God! Yeah, I'm. I may just take some screenshots on the iPad and just send you a couple of loose pages. And just be it. like, look at this. Yeah. Look at bars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's just the subject line should just be, but he's a barbarian. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Fucking love that. I seriously died. I I fell off the couch laughing because that really. <laughs> Oh man, listeners, you have been listening to another episode. Another episode, you lucky, lucky people. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> we have one more episode to go before our next break. That's right. That's right. Uh, next week's episode, I don't know about Jeff, but I'm hoping there's no like ridiculous comics news that makes me feel like I'm being hoodwinked. I know what you mean. Like This was the second week in a row where I was like, I want to be upbeat, but holy shit, this is just kind of like... This this horrible open sore that I feel like I have to point out, you know. So yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Hopefully things will go well. Is although Jeff, it's comics. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, is 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 Age of Ultron? Is that son of a bitch rolling weekly throughout? So like, no, next issue we've just six? had three. We just had three issues in a row, right? I think I think we're off a week. Oh, okay, week off. All right. Because part of me is like, and and if am I understanding correctly in that this is the end of Hitch and after yes, this? Yes, yes. Issue five is the last Hitch issue. Wow, man, they just burned through that stuff. I gotta tell you. Well, it'll be kind of interesting to see where it goes from here. 
he says. Well, it goes forward and back. Oh, and back. <laughs> Captain something... America loses an eye. Brandon Peterson shows that he's forgotten what human anatomy is like. It's, it's going to be exciting. <laughs> Have you not seen the preview pages? There's preview pages where you're like, that's not how bodies work, Brandon. Really? Peterson. No, no, not at all. I haven't. It's such a shame. Like, no, I normally think of him as like a really precise artist. Mm-hmm. Well, they probably were like, we will give you like ten thousand dollars if you can draw this in like two weeks basically so i'm sure it was like huh and someone's like pointing out like honey i believe the head goes on top of the neck and you know like, shut up you know <laughs> we we will actually be able to eat if i get this done and maybe even take a vacation so there is a uh, a preview page that is online mm-hmm for people who have been paying attention to this and you'll know what i'm talking about where there is storm flying in the air and all I'm going to say is this, unless Storm has started appearing in Russ Meyer movies, that's not a normal human being. Really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, 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 uh. Hey, isn't Captain Marvel... Oh, never mind, you wouldn't know. You didn't isn't know Captain Marvel what? Isn't Captain Marvel... Isn't Monica Rambeau in, in Age of Ultron? I have no idea. And how did we get to, to Monica Rambeau? Because... <laughs> Because there's this weird thing of there's one of my favorite panels in Age of Ultron number five uh, is um, let's see if I can get to it again it it it's basically they're uh, they're in the Savage Land it's all of them and is this going to go in the right order or not uh, they have this thing oh yeah it's like um, they're 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 trying to get the lay of the land so Captain America asks Emma Frost to like look. Um, you know, basically, like, what's happening? Like, what's here in the Savage Land? They're trying to find this area that they've been led to believe is something great. So he, he kind of says, like, everyone get into recon position, set a perimeter. Storm and Monica, take to the sky for aerial lookout. Emma? And she says, oh, I can't rely on my powers, but I'm getting, you know, what, what the fuck does she even say? But I'm getting a strong sense it is fortified to block psychic penetration and so I can't rely on my powers Ben this is like that's right I completely wrote Emma Frost's powers out before I we, uh shit yeah I just I just think that it was great because it's like he keeps getting these notes where it's like would she, like her accent is unreliable and he's like right can't rely on her powers like no 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 no, no. her accent is not good right her powers are no good anyway so what happens is Captain America has the weird sentence, Logan, your nose, please. Because I guess Logan's literally supposed, is using his scent in the Savage Land to smell. So there's this great shot of Logan, his eyes are closed, like he's supposed to be smelling, and you have Monica Rambeau and, like, Storm flying in the background behind him. So, like, take it on its own. Like, without the previous panel, it looks like Logan is dreaming of flying black women. And it's awesome! <laughs> But I kind of I had that moment of like oh like Monica Rambeau's in this like I just was not paying any attention which of course people should pick me pick apart in the comments but I just kind of had that great thing of like I was like oh man I so I want to read the comic where like Logan just sort of sits around and goes ah it smells like flying black women you know like it's like hey wait until Zeb Wells is finished with Savage Wolverine they're gonna need someone to take over that book oh is that is Zeb Wells doing that? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Wait, who's... Is that after Frank Cho? Yeah. Frank Cho does like five issues, then Zeb Wells takes over for like five issues. Ah, I see. I see. This is what's going on. Okay. 
Um, that's kind of interesting because uh, I kind of had that weird like. Frank Cho, how long can he be drawing that book? So Zeb Wells. Now, wasn't Zeb Wells the guy who was taking over, uh, who started Nova. on Nova? He's taking over Nova. Okay. As well. Okay. Who was, and was he Spectacular Spider-Man before Spectacular Spider-Man? He was Avenging Spider-Man. Avenging Spider-Man was Zeb Wells' book, right? Yes. And you were pretty excited and, about and him. the, the um, Savage Wolverine. No. Yeah, it is. I think it's the Savage Wolverine arc. Mm-hmm. No, that can't be right. I was going to say, I think it is the arc that was going to be an arc, uh, Joe Madeira's second arc in Avenging Spider-Man. Oh. But well, I, that can't be right. Well, maybe they just, they would have to, well, how, why wouldn't it be right? Because Spider-Man's well, not in it? Yeah, I, is Spider-Man in the second arc of uh, Savage Wolverine? I'm, I don't know. I, I clearly didn't even know Zeb Wells was doing the second arc. So, I mean, I'm slowly turning this into an Abbott and Costello routine without meaning to, because I keep asking you <laughs> questions. I'm why couldn't it be? But why? All right, so oh, no, no, no. Sure enough, he is. He he is in it. So it is. It's the. It was supposed to be Joe Madeira's second arc of Avenging Spider-Man, before both Joe Madeira and Zeb Wells uh, left the book. Wow. And by the time it comes out, Avenging Spider-Man will have been cancelled and replaced by Superior Spider-Man Team Up. Superior Spider-Man Team Up. I have to say. Superior Spider-Man, the title, I always find hilarious, but when you call it Superior Spider-Man Team-Up, it's hilarious, and it sounds like cleaning product. What you know about what I mean? the Superior Foes of Spider-Man? Another title is launching. Wow. that Wait, that's an ongoing? That's just not yeah, like that's a collection? Ongoing. No, that's an ongoing. Oh my God. Who's writing that? Ah, uh, God, who's writing it? Uh... We should, listeners, I apologize. We should all but take this off mic because this really is me just being fascinated by Marvel. I'm like, they're still publishing titles, huh? Like, wow. Superior Photo Spider-Man is Nick Spencer. Oh, yeah, Nick Spencer. Because I was like, Dan Way, it's not Dan Way, but it's Dan Way, but it's not Dan Way. It's Nick Spencer. The poor man's Dan Way. <laughs> That's going to get comments. That's definitely going to get comments. Oh, yeah. Actually, Graham, I think you'll find that they're very different. I know it was a joke. <laughs> This is great. This is listeners. By all means, keep up with the comments because we are so close to Nixon in the bunker uh, style. <laughs> Graham McMillan It's just great. It's like I've started recording all of my comments. First off, <laughs> listeners, I know, I know that Nick Spencer is different from Daniel Way. Oh my God, that's so gross! Please, can you do every podcast as Nixon from now on? Maybe I should. That would be good. That actually, unlike my Alan Moore imitation, that was actually recognizable as the person it was supposed to be. Man, I should just quit while I'm ahead. Tell you. Uh, we were quitting anyway. We were in the process of quitting while you. When then we got distracted. That might be a new record for us getting distracted. <laughs> it's true. Seconds away from going bye, and we totally end up talking. <laughs> Only else for 10 minutes. Like 10 minutes. Oh, people. Okay, like I was saying, next week, our last episode for another skip week. Yeah. Uh, and in that skip week, um, it's sometime, Comics Fest. Yes. So people in Portland, you might actually see me at sometime. Who knows? Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that you're not mentioning that I'm also in town and that you might they might also see me as well. I, I, know that you wanted that known. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I didn't know that you were going to even go to the show. You were being you discreet. Were... Well, I didn't. I didn't think, I didn't think, well, we'll have to talk about this off mic. That's why I didn't say anything. 
You're going to edit that bit out, my friend. I probably should. Anyway, uh, yes, listeners, we'll listen. To, we'll check in with you next week uh, for our our ultimate episode. An ultimate episode. We hope you enjoyed this one. <laughs> so, really, that's been some pressure on us. <laughs> our superior ultimate episode. Oh God, that'd be great if we just started using lots of adjectives. Oh, that would be great. Yep, that would be kind of great. Welcome to Superior Avenging Wait What? Welcome to Dynamic Wait What? Dynamic Wait What? Comic book podcast for the Superior Savage Critic website. Probably pull that off. Okay, anyway, uh, Graham, do you want to sing us out? Bye! Perfect. Perfect. <laughs>